This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, Matthew Hodgson delivers the wrong kind of facial. <laughs> the party party's on and Rafa turns 21 as the Australian Open wraps up. We fire up the pun gun for some NBA-based movies and the Perth Scorchers take out the BBL final. Oh, I had a lot of fun this week, Stewie. Can't wait. Let's go. It's 13 past nine on the 2nd of the 2nd, 2022nd. Happy Richie Benno Day. That's what I was going to say. So you had two. You had Richie Benno and the 87. There we go. Hopping on one leg. There we go. So you've used mine and I've used yours. (laughs) Oh, there you go. And we're hopping on one leg here. Yeah, cheer for 20 cheer. Yes. Happy Richie Benno Day. Mm -hmm. Wednesday rather than a Tuesday because sometimes life gets in the way, but that's okay. We're here instead. But you know what? Our normal recording day... Tuesdays, we'll get the 22nd of February too, if all goes to plan. Ooh. So we'll have another Richie Benno. If only in Australia we put the, the month first, then it would be two for 22. That would be good. Anyway. Yeah. As we do at the top every week, what got your attention? What'd you miss? Well, the big thing that caught my attention was the omissions of Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens from the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yep. This was both players' last year of eligibility, so they've effectively been completely shut out for good. Well, not true. I'll get there. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I've, yep. read, I've read some fallacies. Well, from my understanding, there is an, a, a final kind of appeals panel that can put people in after the fact. Right. Yeah, yeah, because it was on my list too. They, yeah. they will not get in though. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I'll well, allow you to kind of, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I mean, the thing is, from what I can understand, there is this strong belief they've been overlooked because of their links to the whole steroids era, and that obviously tarnished the league's reputation for quite a while. But of course, also was what made the league very popular for a while too. So it's a really interesting dichotomy. Uh, well, it is. And, and look, it's no secret. Bonds and Clemens both used performance-enhancing drugs at some point during their career. Well, my understanding is that Clemens was never officially caught, but everyone kind of goes, well, well you know. Yeah. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And you only need to look at Barry Bonds's head. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not even saying that to be mean. Like, he has clearly had massive body changes, not just in his muscle yeah. tissue. And, and the thing is, by no way do we want to ever condone that sort of thing. It's not healthy. It's not in the interest of the game. But regardless of all of that, their contributions to the game absolutely have to be recognised. David Ortiz was accepted into the Hall of Fame this year and he tested positive for a banned substance in 2003. And this is one of the things because Ortiz was one of the guys that was loved by all, big puppy, gave a good interview, fans loved him, whereas apparently Bonds was a real asshole to reporters who are the people that vote on these things. And I think Clemens is maybe in that boat, but maybe not as much as well. So, But then looking at a parallel from our favourite sport, Carl Malone's in the NBA Hall of Fame. He got a 13-year-old pregnant when he was 19. And refused to pay what would have been very reasonable child support when the family offered him a deal too, when he was already earning more than a million dollars a season. Yeah, so this is the thing. You can't necessarily use that as an excuse to keep them out. I read this really, really great article written by ESPN MLB insider Jeff Passan, who said, amongst other things... He's a player, and this is about Barry Bonds, by the way, he's a player whose physical gifts knew no limits and whose desire for something beyond greatness took him to a place he never needed to go. His greed mirrored the leagues, the ceaseless pursuit of bigger, better, more. Absolutely. Yep. Perfect. This is the history that demands to be told, and there is no better place to tell it than in the plaque room at the Hall of Fame. There should be no running from it, no denying it, not if you're a museum. Perfect. Yeah, no, I agree. Absolutely. That's 100% true because the league benefited from the ratings during those home run contests. And and I saw something, unfortunately, I didn't note it down on Twitter the other week, 
where basically Bond's pre-steroid stats are pretty compelling. You could almost make a case for him pre-steroids. And Tony Kornheiser has a really interesting view on this, and it's one that I think I subscribe to. He says, put people in regardless if they're on field, on court, whatever it might be. So it's a bit more general, not just baseball, whatever sport. Put them in if their gameplay warrants being in. But on the plaque, on the little breakdown of their career, the synopses, whatever you want to call it, put all of the misdemeanors, put the indiscretions. You know, such and such was suspended for X amount of games for doing this. Yeah. And then that way you have the full context because their athletic achievements, you can't just pretend these people didn't exist. Obviously, Pete Rose is the other really well-known baseball one who's not in the Hall of Fame because he admitted to betting on his own games. There is some definite hypocrisy here. Definite. Well, and this is the thing. There's a guy in the Hall of Fame who pitched two seasons and lost more games than he won. Yep. But he's in there because he was basically the guy who pioneered, I think it was the curveball. Right. So, okay, really, really great contribution to the game. But as a player, you didn't really do that much. So you've then got to look at the flip side and say they're neglecting the all-time leader in home runs, one of the top 10 pitchers of all time as well in Roger Clemens. Oh, yeah, and both really important people for not just one, several decades in Major League Baseball history. I saw a really good reminder of just how feared Barry Bonds was, this little clip, and it was him being intentionally walked in the the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded. loaded. Yeah, I saw that too. It's nuts. And that brought the lead down from two to one in that game they were playing Arizona. They were that frigging scared to pitch to him that they would walk him. Uh, He sits as the most walked player of all time with 2,558 walks. Second place is Ricky Henderson, 368 behind him. Wow. And he played three more seasons. Yeah, wow. That's how much people were afraid to throw to him. And honestly, the, the easy way to sum this up, they're truly both Hall of Fame worthy. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, well, for me, it's the hypocrisy and it's the inconsistency. So if you're going to leave people out for certain grounds, then you need to be consistent with that. But the, tr- the tricky thing is, is where do you draw the line? Yeah. And people have done some pretty heinous stuff off the field, not to do with... So this is obviously... It is cheating. It's a form of cheating. This year, this one's really interesting. Fascinating. Yeah, it yeah. is. Now, a couple of other things. Massive props to Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Keith Yandel. He broke Doug Jarvis's record from 1987 for the most consecutive regular season games with 965 dating back to 2009. Yeah, I saw that one too. Which, you know, for for a, a really, really high contact sport oh, like yeah. hockey, that's very impressive. And he doesn't just show up. He's a four-time All-Star. He represented America. He's an amazing player. I don't care what sport you're playing. I don't care if it's Kabaddi. To be, to be that many consecutive games is just astonishing. Imagine having 957 consecutive Kabaddis. That was 965, <laughs> not 957. Anyway, if anyone's wondering about the other big three, because obviously there's four of the big sports that they play in America, you've got Jeff Fegels played 352 consecutive games across 22 seasons in the NFL. AC Green played 1,192 consecutive games across 14 seasons in the NBA. But Major League Baseball... Cal Ripken Jr. played in 2,632 consecutive games. Oh, he's the Iron Man. Yep. And also, I'll correct myself from last week. I mentioned that Elise Cornet had played in 60 consecutive Grand Slams on the women's side and said she was too short of the record. I actually missed Feliciano Lopez in the men's. He's played in 79 straight. 
Wow. So well done to all. Indeed. And lastly, just one thing. I saw Kiara Bowers of the Fremantle Dockers AFLW team set a new record over the weekend for the fewest games to reach 10 perfect 10 coaches votes, doing so in just 25 games. The previous record was Chris Judd, who did it in 50, and the next best docker, Nat Fife, in 85 games. Awesome stuff, Kiara. And by the way, this is the same Kiara Bowers who won Player of the Year last year, and all the Eastern States media left her off their top five, top ten, or whatever lists. <laughs> she is a head and shoulder. She, she tackles hard. She wins the ball. Her disposal is excellent. She is a joy to watch. They're just salty. Yeah. How about yourself, mate? Well, in addition to the Baseball Hall of Fame stuff, and I knew there was going to be overlap, Stu Stradamus over here. So we won't talk about NFL this week. We'll, we've decided that because there's a bye week prior to the Super Bowl, we'll pick and we'll look at stuff <laughs> next week while you're laughing. Because I picked the Bengals! <laughs> well, no, but you, that's not even the one I'm, I was going to say. You picked the correct score in the Rams and the 49ers, 20-17. Yeah. to 17. And I picked the Bengals. Yeah, yeah, though. you got both right. But it's the, it's, getting the score is the very... The score is very... Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty pleased with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad, well done. I'm glad I didn't go for the 2 nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Safety or well, the pie, like you did yeah, the pie. Wildcat weekend. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm actually almost as impressed though with the Bengals because that was a bit of a long shot at Arrowhead. Yes, 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 and no. And we'll we'll talk about and you know I know that across the season I've always been a bit iffy on the on the Chiefs and the chickens came home to roost. But we'll talk about that, including Tom Brady's retirement next week. The, the Bengals came home to roost. Well, yes. <laughs> What'd you miss, mate? Well, funnily enough, on that exact same track, because both of the NFL championship games were played on a Monday morning yes, and not a Monday morning that I'm taking the day off for, i.e. what we'll be doing in a couple of weeks for the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Very, very hard to see the game. So obviously relying on extended highlights on those and potentially trying to find time to watch the full game. It's unlikely, but we'll see. The minis are okay with NFL. Okay. They're okay. They're okay. There's some sports where I don't love minis, but... It gives you a taste. Yeah. It gives you, yeah. Beautiful. How about yourself? Well, I didn't get to see all of the men's final in the tennis. Oh, I didn't see all of the women's final either. I did see the end of the men's final. I didn't see Ash winning, unfortunately, and we'll talk about that in the tennis. Yeah. And the, I, there's there's a bit of NBL I missed. I didn't see tonight, tonight's match between New Zealand and Adelaide, but we'll talk about that too. We will. So, Stewie, the Australian Open is in the books, and my goodness, I don't think there has ever been a more successful Australian Open for Aussies. Yeah, geez. Was, uh, and then that's even... And that's with, not even the headline. With, that's even with Dylan Alcott losing. Yeah, well. well, that's right. Yeah, but Nadal, 21. Yep, yep. Incredible. So so much for this tournament being a big flop after the Djokovic debacle, yes, honestly. Yeah, yeah. What, a, what a, an amazing tournament. Absolutely got to start with Nadal. Defeats Medvedev 2-6-6-7-6-4-6-4-7-5 in 5 hours and 24 minutes. Crazy. I don't know how Nadal continues to do this at 35 years of age. I mean, well, not only his age, that injury he had recently. Yep. To win the final three sets. Oh, my God. It defies belief. Well, there was actually talk that Nadal didn't know if he would really be able to play yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people missed this. Yep. That he was really right at, like, I might never play again. And sure enough, he's come through, yeah, a couple of months later and won a freaking grand slam. Yep. I mean, it's it's also easy to forget. Medvedev was up two sets to love and had Nadal love 40 on his serve with three break points to go up 4-2. That's what makes it so impressive, the comeback. Incredible. He saves all three of them and the rest is history. Becomes the first man to come back from two sets in an Oz Open final since Roy Emerson beat Fred Stolle in 1965. And it was just such a traditional Rafa Nadal fashion sort of game, just clawing himself back from the abyss. 
I saw a stat just into the second set. The average service game duration for Medvedev, two minutes, 21. Nadal was five minutes, 18. Wow. <laughs> well, wasn't there like a, a 40 rally point at one point? Oh, there was a, there was a, yeah. a 40 shot rally at one stage. Yeah. There, there yep. would have been multiples that were fairly similar. Yep. And I think the key point though was late in the third set. So Medvedev started to tire a little bit and we started seeing things like the trainer coming down and him taking the pickle juice and a few of those little love things. Love that pickle juice, yeah. Honestly, it was, <laughs> God, who was it? I saw, it was Mitch Creek actually. I saw oh, yeah, on, okay. on overtime, okay. he had a uh, had a go of that. And, oh God, not a good reaction. <laughs> but that's, I think if you're Nadal and you see that, that's your moment where you go, okay, I need to pounce here because he's struggling. He's yep, tiring. Cramping, yep. And he knew that he could outlast Medvedev's body even at 35. He could oh. still outdo him. And look, it wasn't easy. Medvedev still chased everything down, but it takes a really special person out last Nadal in five. And, you know, he, he moved Medvedev more than he was moved himself. And that was sort of the difference. So, yeah, just a, a crazy result. And I'm so happy for him. Getting, oh, of course, absolutely. Getting to 21. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. He's so lovely in interview. Few people would have picked him to get there. Very few. People would have said Federer or Djokovic. Probably Djokovic would have been the obvious choice. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But get this. This actually marks the 70th time in the last 71 Grand Slams that Nadal, Federer or Djokovic haven't made at least the semifinal. Wow. And in fact, if you go back to the 2005 French Open, which was Nadal's first Grand Slam win, that big three has made the final in 64 of 67 Grand Slams. Like one of the three. Just goes to show. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. And then if you throw Andy Murray in, because he had a good little period there as well. He, he did. And yeah. Stan Vavrinka had a little run. Yeah, and yeah. Other guys like one, Martin Del Potro. But those three alone have just Head and been shoulders. Just oh, yeah. stupid. Yeah. And when we were growing up, we thought no one's going to beat Pete Sampras. No. <laughs> Isn't that funny? No, yeah, <laughs> it's well, almost an afterthought. Because we knew nothing at the time. Uh, well, yes, but... Uh, it wasn't all smooth sailing for Rafa, though. There was this real tough five-setter against Denis Shapovalov in the uh, in the quarterfinals, and he was not happy about the umpiring of Nadal, sort of complaining about the thousand little idiosyncrasies that Nadal has on the screen. Oh, yes, the time-wasting. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And there was a big quote about how he was basically saying that Nadal gets preferential treatment because of who he is and all of that sort of stuff. So I, I really hope they get to play again because <laughs> they're, they're, it's nice seeing these little rivalries in tennis. So I mentioned it last week. I think I even got the number right. 34 years ago, Chris O'Neill, no longer. Ash Barty, the last Aussie to win the women's singles. 44. 44. Okay, I did get it wrong then. 1978. I can't, I can't maths. <laughs> <laughs> you went to high school with me, you know that. Yeah, true. Yeah, oh well. 44 years, even more impressive. Even, even more impressive. So Ash Barty defeats Daniel Collins 6-3, 7-6 in an hour and 27 minutes. Honestly, you could barely have asked for a better tournament from Ash. Not a single set lost. The 14 sets she won took a total of 30 games off her. Wow. So a total of, what, 1.6 per set. It's just ridiculous. Extraordinarily low. Probably still close to the record. I assume it's from Steffi Graf in the 1988 French Open. She only lost 20 games in that entire tournament. Three matches where she lost one game and a six-love, six-love final against Natasha Spareva, which I believe we've spoken about. That's the year she was the Golden Slam, wasn't it? Yeah, I think we spoke about that in the... This week in sports. Yeah, yeah. This sums up my viewing experience of this one, Stewie. So we had to go out to a party that night. And Ash was down, I think, what, 5-1 in the second? And I thought, oh, yeah, cool. All right, I'll watch the third set at the pub. <laughs> and then we got there and it's like, hold on, what? What? Huh? What? Pick out my phone. What? She won? Yeah. <laughs> How the hell did that happen? Yep. 
Oh, man. What yeah. a performance. Yeah, it was the ruthlessness throughout the entire tournament. Going back through the rounds, though, just before we get into the final, the length of the seven matches that she played, 54 minutes, 52, 61, 74, 63, 62, and 87. Wow. One match over 75 minutes in the entire tournament. I saw this funny tweet from Tim Rosen, and I'm sure a number of other people had it as well, saying that Ash Barty's been parking her car in the one-hour zone the entire tournament. <laughs> Uh, no toilet breaks for her, no that's for sure. No toilet breaks. No. Yeah, wow. And, and this is the thing. She only needed to really show that Aussie grit once, and it was what you mentioned in that final against Daniel Collins in the second set. Really used that serve well from all accounts, yeah. She, she did. And I kind of remember, so I was watching with my old man, and I said to him, if Ash can just break once, she'll break twice. Well, she had the, she had the crowd. Absolutely. So you just get that little bit of sunlight, and you can go from there. But they always talk about the hardest game to hold is the game to win a match. Or yeah. In this case, win a set. And yeah, set point, match point, championship point. All of these, yeah. th- these service games are really, really hard, especially if you've never been there like Collins hasn't. So, uh, yeah, I just said if she could just get one, Collins will get nervous. And sure enough, the rallies started going longer. The errors started coming off the racket of Collins. All of a sudden, she breaks back twice. And soon enough, we're in a tie break. And, and you, she would have felt the belief rising in the crowd as well. Absolutely. So, well, both players would have. Yeah, so... This was just a phenomenal tournament from start to finish. And she just continues to go from strength to strength. The serve's getting better. She continues to use that slice forehand and slice backhand to to really mix up the pace of the ball. And a lot of people struggle with them. There have been a few anti-Ash folk posting things like Ash has now won three Grand Slams without facing a single top five player and only one top 10 player. You can only play who's in front of you. Well, it's like the asterisk talk with Nadal as well. It's not an asterisk. Well, that one's not. No. Absolutely not. No. I mean, okay, players are missing, but players are always going to be missing for this, that, and the other. Yeah. It's so funny you say that. I That was exactly what I wrote. Is it her fault that Naomi Osaka lost the round before she was due to play Ash? Ditto Maria Sakari, Barbara Kreshkova, Iga Swiatek, all did the same in that tournament. It's just how things happen in the WTA. It is how things happen. And if players are looking ahead and worrying about what comes ahead too, there's just so much going on. You can only play who you're in front of. If she'd only won one, okay, maybe. It's three now. She's still world number one. It's looking good. It is. It is. So on the number one, here's a pretty cool stat from Joshua K. She's now spent more weeks at number one than Naomi Osaka, Maria Sharapova, Kim Clijsters, Jennifer Capriati, Arantxa Sanchez-Vicario, Garbine Muguruza, and Venus Williams combined. I know. I, I, I liked that combined. tweet as well. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Crazy stuff. And how's this for nuts from the WTA Insider? When Ash won the 2019 French Open, along the way, she knocked out Jessica Pegula, Danielle Collins, Madison Keys, and Amanda Anisimova. Wow. Wow. She beat those four yeah, again. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. That's yeah, funny how things It's really cool. Yeah. But yeah, all of a sudden, she's now a three-time champion. She needs just the US Open to complete the career Grand Slam. And she's actually won the US Open in doubles. So she kind of technically does have the career Grand Slam. Ah, not well, yeah, yeah. She won that with Coco Vanderway of America. Amazingly, Ash actually has a better career record in doubles than she does in singles. Probably because of the early days, I would mm. suspect. But yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah interesting. Pretty, pretty impressive. She used to play with Casey Delacqua, hey, back in the day? She would have done, yeah. And I think I think I heard a story that Casey helped her get back into tennis after yeah. she played cricket for a while. Yeah. So she was really instrumental in bringing her back. It's so crazy. Sliding doors. Mm. She may have never won one. And now she, she is world number one and she's won three. And she's looking like she'll be one of the favourites for... Many, all all many the tournaments years, this year. Many yeah. Years to oh, yeah. 
Now, unfortunately, the day after being announced Australian of the Year, perhaps partly because of the fact he was announced Australian of the Year, his phone would have been blowing up. All sorts of distractions would have happened. No fairy tale finish for Dylan Alcott, unfortunately. No, absolutely blasted off the court by Sam Schroeder. Seven, five, six love in an hour and 40 minutes. Six love. Yeah. So uncharacteristic. He was actually, he was bageled twice at the 2019 US Open by Andy Lapthorne across two matches. Oh, yeah, okay. He used to do a round robin in the quads. Yeah, okay. But yeah, uh, yeah, those are the only other times he's lost a Grand Slam set, six love. Look, Schroeder was so aggressive returning serve. He was taking the ball early, using the cross court just perfectly. Never let Dylan get any sort of rhythm going. And for me, this was, it was just the perfect passing of the torch from Dylan. You know, he, yes, he was exhausted from that trip across to Canberra, and it was, but it was just, it was time for somebody else to take that baton and almost a perfect way for him to go out. And, you, you know, people argue, oh, he went out with a whimper, but no, like, Schroeder absolutely just took this from Dylan. There were, there were a lot of unforced errors, but I mean, Dill gave everything. And oh, he always does, yeah. But yeah. there was nothing he could do. Schroeder just kept hitting better on the day, yeah. Just kept hitting lines at the right time. A lot of deep balls that no one could. I mean, we would struggle to get the ball back with two working legs, and he's trying to wheel his way. Oh, yeah, oh, like a mad respect, it, absolutely. So, he's look, he's left the sport in a great place. Ridiculous career comes to an end. 15 time Grand Slam champion, won the last seven Australian Opens before this one. Never lost a match or even a set at the French Open or Wimbledon. That is amazing. In five outings. And an absolute inspiration for all disabled sports people all around the world. As we've talked about before, basketball and tennis. What a guy. Yep. Happy retirement, mate. Indeed. Now, we won't talk about everything else that went on. There was some interesting stuff in the juniors. One player basically collapsed in the heat. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have time to get through everything. But we will talk about the All-Australian doubles in the men's. Oh, I don't know how I feel about this one. I was going for Matty Ebden and Max Purcell, but Kyrgios and Kokonakis. Sew! <laughs> Fuck, I hate that shit. Yes. Seven, five, six, four in an hour, 35 minutes. Look, absolutely no disrespect to Tanasi, but I have to start by saying Nick Kyrgios is a Grand Slam champion. That is a sentence I never thought I would be saying out loud. Uh, don't know if I agree. I mean, he always had the talent. He always had glimpses. I don't think he ever had the stick to itiveness. Well, yeah. To do it for two weeks straight. Yeah. And look, in the singles, maybe he won't. Well, this is but- it. You don't have somebody to pick you up. And, and Tanasi did such a great job for that fortnight of, well, both of them really, when the other person was a little bit down, they were up and they, they did a great job of balancing each other well and they, they deserved it. Had the crowd on their side. Well, they, they did up until the final. It kind of calmed down a little bit for the final, which was uh, was good. But it's just a case of two singles players that know each other really well. They have these massive ground strokes and so much power that traditional doubles teams will struggle to deal with. And, and they're clearly great mates too. So they, they are. it helps. They played the big points really well. They were never both low at the same time, as I said. And they just, yeah, they carried each other so well. Massive props to Ebden and Purcell. They made the finals as an unseeded pair. They had a great tournament to get there. Knocked off some... Really, really great duos, and they deserve all the success in the world. So, yeah, just an all-round phenomenal tournament, really. Yeah, yeah, no, great tournament. Good to see it finish that way after the disappointing start with the Novak stuff. Yeah, and and this is, funnily enough, that's the talking point. A few months to go now until the French Open, 
And all eyes are going to be on whether Paris decides to let Novak play. Well, we're in February already, for Christ's sake. So it'll be here before we know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but hey, there's some. There's been some talks that he might not, if he doesn't want to get vaxxed, you know. But hey, he can change water with his emotions, and that's the important thing. Yes. <laughs> Joey, I think the best way to sum up the cricket last week was tactics. A lot of the results came down to tactics. And I think we'll start with the women's ashes. Yeah. Very funny finish. Sadly, another match, another no result. Yes. This was a very different one to the previous two. Rain wiped out practically the entire third day on an already too short four-day test. Yeah. I have no idea why they Yeah, I don't know about that either. Yeah. But we were still one ball away from a result. Thanks to tactical sporting declaration. And hats off to the Aussie women. Gee, it nearly backfired for them. Yeah, it really, really (laughs) did. Meg Lanning would have copped it if they hadn't won that one. She would have. What a bizarre finish. This is one of those matches where both teams probably felt like they should have won, but both teams probably also felt like they escaped without a loss. Absolutely. Oh, seesawing final day. So for anyone who missed this, Australia 9 declared for 337 and 7 declared for 216. Drew with England 297 and 9 for 245. Yeah, one of those ones where going into the final over the match, all four results could still have happened. So an Australia win, an England win, oh, yeah. Yeah, a yeah, draw yeah. or a tie. Yep, absolutely. Could all have technically still happened. Yep. So I watched the last 10 and t- I watched bits and pieces throughout the course of the match. But when I kind of realized it was getting to the pointy end, I watched the last 10 overs. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if you'd said this at the start as well, after maybe the first three overs, as an Aussie fan, you'd be like, sweet, over the moon. Two for four. Yeah. Really, really bad start. And then you get this phenomenal 169 run stand between Meg Lanning and Rachel Haynes and the Aussies are back on top. Yep. Both a little bit unlucky to miss out on their centuries. But look, the English women, a lot more attacking than their male counterparts, you would say. And yes. Get the key wicket of Talia McGraw with the last ball of day one and it's kind of on a knife's edge. And then the Poms look like they're in all sorts, six for 120, even eight for 169. And then this batting masterclass from Heather Knight. One of the greats. Well, yeah, still one of, if not the greatest batter in the world right now. 168 not out, probably saved England at that point. Mm. 100 run stand with Sophie Eccleston and then another 28 with Kate Cross. And then all of a sudden, 297 looks like a pretty decent reply. Oh, absolutely it was, yeah. Yep. Now, my concern after day three was how aggressive are both sides going to be. I'd kind of written off a result at that stage. But Australia decided a lead of 257 was enough. I, I questioned the logic behind that. I, mean, I thought we were going to lose for sure, especially after the way the English started. And my thoughts were, why would you risk losing a test you're ahead of for 90% of the time and give England a chance to win this? I mean, the test is worth more. It was a sporting declaration. It was, it was an incredibly sporting And maybe even with the women's game in mind and they wanted to get a result to try and lift the women's game up. I don't know. Yeah. And look, they did well. I mean, from three for 218, needing 39 off 50 balls, England just... Well, the pressure got to them. It's like Daniel Collins in the tennis. Pressure does funny things. People tighten up. And it wasn't even full-on pressure. It was just poor shot play. Every single one of those wickets was just ill-disciplined for me. Sorry, and I'll clarify that by saying the burden of expectation. Yeah. yeah, Because they're thinking, oh, right on, we can beat these Aussies in Australia. Here we go, you know. So that's what I mean by pressure, yeah. And look, full credit, Annabelle Sutherland and Alana King never gave up. They bowled beautifully. King on debut. King on debut, exactly. England lose six for 26 off 33 balls and damn near blow the whole friggin' match. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. One of the most exciting last hours of play I've watched in my cricket life. 
the swings were huge, groups of dot balls, then a boundary, then a wicket. It was nuts. Oh, it really was. It really was. Full credit to England for holding on. Full credit to Australia for getting back into the game when it looked like it was all but over. And yeah, great for women's cricket. And it's hard to criticise King given she was on debut and she did bowl very well and she can turn it. She wasted a couple of deliveries. There was a pie there. There was that angular one that was a bit of a nothing ball. We should actually talk about that, though. The field placing. Oh, yes. They didn't even bring the field in until ball three or four. I think it was four. That was what was curious to me. Yeah, it was very curious. And the commentators were going off about it, too. At what point do you ever look at that and go, oh, England might still go for it? No, they got one wicket. They're not swinging. No. They're blocking everything. Well, a draw is better than a loss at that point. And you look at it and say, okay, if they want to take a swing at the first ball, and try and hit a six to sort of... Yeah, no, you, you want to encourage them. Go nuts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Encourage yeah. them to hit it over the top. And if they do, all power to them. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, I would have had all 10 around the bat, basically. Yeah. Like, I would have... Yeah, it would have been like Jimmy Anderson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so you, do you think... For a second there, and I mentioned it in our chat as we were kind of chatting along the way, it looked like they were going to throw the ball to Elise Perry for that last over. That veteran leadership might have been a really good decision. I think it would have been a good decision. Yeah, yeah. But because you could still technically have the wicket keeper up. So it still brings that run out into play. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Or the stumping or anything. Yep. So yeah, I think that would have made more sense. But I mean, neither of us are captain of Australia. So no, we are not. But hey, the Ashes are still alive and and look forward to seeing how they finish. Mm. Couple of talking points though. And unfortunately, it's one I've mentioned that many times. Alyssa Healy's form. Yeah, not good. A duck in the first innings off eight balls, a second ball duck in the second, both caught behind driving at a full ball from Catherine Brunt that swung away. The only thing for me that keeps her in the side right now is not even the fact that she's a keeper. It's the fact that it's a World Cup year. Yeah, right. Yep. If she fails in the first couple of group stage games, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard for her to keep her spot. And it it's such a shame well, Beth Mooney keeps in the WBBL, so they could give her the gloves if they had to. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It will be. It will be interesting. And then the really curious one for me was the omission of Megan Shute. I don't understand that. I mean, okay, it does pave the way for Alana King to make her debut. Which... Well, I guess it's pace versus spin. That's the balance of the bowling attack. That's and she, Look, she's good at cleaning up the tail. Sophie Eccleston and Heather Knight, as it said, they put on 100 for the ninth wicket and 28 for the 10th wicket with Knight and Kate Cross. Shoot would have been really handy to have there for that very reason, just to kind of knock those two wickets over. And that's uh, hard. Yeah, to no, make. I enjoy watching her bowl. Yeah. Mm. Yep. But look, cracking game of cricket and, you know, well done to both teams. Absolutely. Now, before we get to the tactics in the last two BBL matches, hats off to Mitchell Stark, Australian Cricketer of the Year. Yes, hats off to, to him. and also, Mitchell Marsh finishing one vote short yeah. and didn't even play a test. That's, That's how good he was in the T20 World yeah. Cup. And, and also hats off to Ash Gardner for winning the Belinda Clark Award. Yes, indeed, yes. No, so, she's a fantastic all-rounder. She's done very well. Yep, very good. All right, BBL again. Tactical things are the big talking points. More so in this first match. Yeah, so the Adelaide Strikers, 4 for 167, defeated by the Sydney Sixers, 6 for 170. Cracking game, but as you say, a very, very big talking point. Probably the biggest of the entire season, really, when, oh, yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, look, a, a quick synopsis of the game. Alex Carey, Matt Short, both back in the pavilion in the first two overs. Travis Head gone in the fourth over, three for 21. 
Adelaide looked in a lot of trouble and then the Sixers just kind of went away from their plans. Yeah, no, Adelaide did really well to get a score. But the Sixers bowlers, uh, say after that, they were terrible. Balls on leg stumps, half volleys, slowish half trackers. And then, yeah, John O'Wells and Ian Cobain, they put on this really nice 83-run partnership. Matty Renshaw came out and made a 36 off 20 and 167 on the board. Looks pretty good. Very defendable in a final. But then Hayden Kerr, pinch hitter. Yeah, it's a shame he didn't get his ton, isn't it? He came agonisingly short. He, he did. And i, I got to say, Adelaide really missed some golden opportunities early in that Sixers innings. They had a missed dumping, well, a first, missed run out. First ball yeah. was the stumping. That, yeah. that was Kerr. Yeah. Missed dumping, missed run out, and a drop catch in the first four overs. Mm. Or oh, when you've got maybe 20 plus runs under par, very hard to win from there. So it's amazing that it even came down to the final ball. And, and, I, I don't, and again, that was a misfield too. It, it was. Oh. But the, which there's a reason for, but we'll get to that in a second. I'd actually written, funnily enough, that. The, the very key moment for the entire Adelaide season was that first ball. Yep, the missed dumping. Matt Short, bowls of beauty, gets past the outside edge. And, and again, great tournament for him. And Deserved a wicket. Alex Carey, it, it looked like it actually hit the outside of his gloves. It wasn't even close. Yeah, no. So, was, yeah, I think they even got runs, buys from it. They, they did, yeah. Yeah, not so good. Very not disappointing. Good. But, I mean, it, it shows how depleted the Sixers were. They were four down, needing 54 off 26, and you had Hayden Kerr and Sean Abbott at the crease. Mm. Two of your bowlers mm. at four down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and look, Abbott played a blinder, 41 off 20. And yeah, a really, really fascinating final over struggle. Ben Dwarshus was run out for a diamond duck, and there was a massive six. And then you get to the controversy with Jordan Silk. Yes, yes. And controversy it is, but we might have an unpopular opinion here. I don't know. You might. Well, I will see. So, Silk injured in the fielding innings. Gone into bat, realised they need two off the final ball, sub him out. And they'd just run two off the previous ball as well. Yeah, so... and it clearly they'd seen him struggling, so that's why they made the sub, I guess. Yep. Yeah. What yeah. do you think? Now, well, Law 25 states, if the batsman is ill or injured, they are considered retired, not out, and may be able to return to batting if they recover by the end of the innings. A batsman can also be retired out, but in this case, he may not return to the innings unless the opposing captain consents to this. No, so, that doesn't matter. There was only a ball left. Yeah. So the long and short of it is that it's technically legal, but for me, because Silk was already injured going in and he wasn't facing and not able to hit a boundary, it's a dick move. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So there's almost two discussion points here. One is, should it be allowed? And the other is, should it have been allowed or was it sporting in this context? And the injury does make it a bit fuzzy. So for me, when the IPL first happened ever, the very first season... I remember saying to people, some of these local blokes that eat balls at the beginning of an innings, if they don't start well, they should just retire them out. It's a tactic they should use in the T20 form of the game that they don't. Yeah. So it was really interesting to see it. But again, the injury... Eh. The, the fact that the injury happened during the game and not, not during his batting innings, but during, fielding. during yeah, the fielding. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a pre-existing injury going, yeah. going into... Yeah, into they knew batting. what was happening. Yeah. And the thing that frustrated me so much is there's so many people on Twitter arguing, oh, it's perfectly legal. Yet when you challenge them the other way and say, well, what about a man-cad? They're like, oh, no, nah, that's totally different. Like a man-cad isn't something that's perfectly legal, but an absolute dick move. Well, I don't think it is a dick move. I think fucking walking halfway down the pitch with no repercussions is a dick move. Yeah. I have seen guys backing up halfway down the fucking pitch and because of some stupid rule, unwritten rule that you can't mad cat a bloke. Well, I mean, I've been on the record this since very early in our podcast. I think both should be allowed. Yeah. Well, and this is my thing. 
So if you look at what happens, so Lenton, who comes in, he's about a metre roughly out of his crease by the time the ball was bowled. If Harry Conway had turned around and whipped the bales off, the world would be up in arms. Not me. Well, not, but yeah, no, not, most people, not, most not, people, not the, the conventional answer. wisdom is you don't do it and it shouldn't be done. But I saw a video not that long ago where they were interviewing all the members of the Australian squad saying, man, cad, yes or no? And the vast majority, there were maybe four guys that said yes. Everyone else was like... Were they bowlers? Uh, I actually can't remember, to be honest. But, <laughs> but all That would be interesting. The vast majority... Because the batsmen like, would say no. Yeah. Because they want to back up. So, so that's key, I think. So, yeah, so I, this is exactly how I feel. It's gaining an unfair advantage. And if he'd done that, the world would have been up in arms. Oh, Harry Conway, you're an asshole. Why would you do that? Blah, blah, blah. But that actually allowed enough pressure onto the fielder that he misfielded. Yeah. And the ball rolls through for four. And I mean, look, they probably would have got through for two anyway. But uh, just for me, I just I think a man cat is more acceptable than retiring her with a pre-existing injury. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, so, and I and I am okay with both, but the fact that he got injured in the fielding innings of the same match is what makes it quite dodgy. Absolutely, I'm with you on that one. So some would say maybe there was a bit of karma, uh, maybe a little bit. Yeah, the Road Warriors have done it basically. And hats off to Sydney Sixers because they were absolutely ravaged by COVID. They couldn't have Smitty in the team. For, we think for good reason, given the rules, but still it, it hurt because he has only ever played for them. But again, tactics. Perth faltered out of the gate. Very similar start to Adelaide, funnily enough, in the previous match. There's been parallels in these finals. Mm. Faltered out of the gate, but the tactics to keep the foot down and to keep batting and to put a good score on the board. So they would have gone, okay, at four for 25, either we're all out 70 or we're going to make a decent total. And they made 170, 171 to be exact. Mm. So I think that tactical decision was why they won. Yeah, I mean... You're right. This, like this could have easily gone the other way. I mean, you've got Josh Inglis, Curtis Patterson, Mitch Marsh, and Colin Munro all back in the shed. All blokes that have done a lot of the damage for the Scorchers this season, and so put pressure on blokes that maybe haven't had to even perform as well because they haven't even batted, for example. And then Adam Voges already filling out the X Factor form because he wanted to get Aaron Hardy into the game if there was one more wicket. Yeah, it looked terrible. You, you know, you'd already said before I got a chance to sit down. Oh well, it looks like this one's over. I'm yes, like, oh, yeah, no. sorry, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'm not bringing that up to be a dick. <laughs> no, no, it's all right. Like I did. I thought it was like well, four for twenty five. Well, a lot of people would have. Yeah. Oh. But if there was one thing that you could take out of that Sixers strikers match, Sydney sometimes take the foot off the throat when they shouldn't, and. Ashton Turner and Laurie Evans did the smartest thing they could. They stayed aggressive. That Laurie Evans knock was magnificent. It was, and, and if brilliant. It, I mean. Yeah, just pick your spots and go for it. Yep. Turner cuts behind square. Evans, great over cover. That lofted cover drive for six. Shot of the tournament easily for me. And both players hit really well, square and leg side. And the bad ball started coming. Yep. So, yeah, all of a sudden, this 104-run partnership. And then a little cameo from Ashton Agar. And, yeah, that 170. It was a handy knock from Agar. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was huge before yep. he misses a full one on middle stump. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah. Full bunger though. Like yeah, well, he's just trying to score runs at that point. Yeah. And so looking at teams that were chasing against Perth, the highest score any team had chased against Perth all season was 133. And the Sixers never looked likely. Yeah, well, they fell nearly 40 runs short of that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The Hayden Kerr experiment didn't work a second time out for two. Ashton Turner picked up a wicket. Agar got on reeks for, I think, seven. 
Patterson took a screamer to get rid of. Oh yeah, oh, that was a great Dan catch, Christian. That, and that's that was one of my notes was okay. He didn't do a lot with the bat, but that catch was huge. It was because Dan Christian, one is of the great TBL players. Yeah, 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 huge, huge. And and just like the first meeting, the Sixers collapsed. They lost seven for thirty in this one. So I said it last week. Perth bowl better to their field than any team in the BBL. And well, and I talked about how good the Perth bowling attack was, and Andrew Ty was the one bloke I didn't mention, and he was the one that probably played the best out of anyone in this did. one. Yeah, yeah, a great attack. Funny, Ashton Agar was probably our worst bowler and went for over six and over. Yes. Yeah. So, so yes, as I said, the true road warriors. I'm sorry to you, Scotty Hobson, but the, <laughs> the Scorchers really are. I, I have to mention Scotty Hobson. I just still ridiculous. They played 20 of their 36 games at John Kane Arena and another three at Bendigo Stadium. Road Warriors. Yeah, absolutely. Go back to school, Scotty. Seriously. <laughs> well, um, I can't count. I thought 44 was 34. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. I do have to ask this, though. We spoke last season about how hollow the Melbourne United win over the Wildcats would feel, given no Bryce Cotton, Clint Stein or Luke Travers, Mitch Norton on one leg. Is there any element of that? with this win, given the Sixers didn't have Josh Phillippe, Jordan Silk, Mickey and Jack Edwards and Dan Hughes on one leg? Oh, inevitably. Inevitably. That's balanced out by the fact that Perth didn't play at home much. So I think that probably rebalances the scales a little bit. But yes, it has to factor in. And look, the lack of interest from the public has to factor in too. We had both men's and women's ashes and the Australian Open, not to mention a-League, basketball. There's a lot to compete with. The season's too long. We've said it before. Yeah. looks like it might change going forward. Better. So that's something to keep our eye on. Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of agree. I, I mean, I didn't even include the fact that you've got your assistant coach, wicket-keeping, and Dan Christian offering free beer on Twitter to anyone. Yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it will definitely have an asterisk next to it, but definitely the better side on the day and managed to avoid all the pitfalls of COVID and everything else around it. So well done to them. And look, deserved thoroughly by a balanced side. Nine different scorches, one man of the match award in that tournament. None of them were AJ Ty, Jason Berendorf, or Jai Richardson. Now, Jai obviously was in the test squad for a while, but that is incredible. It that is. is incredible. Only Mitch Marsh and Laurie Evans won multiples. And the scorches win 450 grand. Yep. Hooray. Yep, they can enjoy that in their two-week isolation as they return home. Yes, lots of lobster. We'll maybe talk a little bit more about the under-19s Cricket World Cup, which is on in the Caribbean at the moment. The Aussies are into a semi-final against India, which is pretty much, well, we'll be halfway through it by now. And uh, that's for the chance to go and play England in the final on Saturday. So fingers crossed the Aussie boys can get the job done. I actually happened to catch a bit of Pakistan and Bangladesh in the under-19s just by chance down the pub. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so it's good. And now, this week in sport history... January 31st, 1991, Denver Nuggets point guard Michael Adams becomes the shortest player in NBA history to ever record a triple-double with 45 points, 11 rebounds, and 12 assists in a 123-119 win over the New Jersey Nets. Adams is kind of one of those really forgotten about ridiculously good shorter guards. Like that season, he was sixth in the league in scoring, ahead of guys like Dominic Wilkins, Chris Mullen, David Robinson, and Mitch Richmond. He was one-tenth of a point behind Patrick Ewing. Amazingly, Denver traded Adams to Washington the following season with the 19th pick in the draft for the eighth pick. That eighth pick would turn out to be Mark Macon. Bust! <laughs> Wasn't Andrew Gaze talking about that on the throwback? It was, yep. Well, that, that Shout was, out that to was one of the cards. Robbie and Woody. Yeah, that was one of the cards they pulled out of. Yeah, that's hats. right. It was, of course. 
So Macon played 251 games and averaged 6.7 points a game, identical to the scoring output Washington got from 19th pick LeBradford Smith. Adams would be an all-star in 1992, though. Having said that, the shitness of that trade paved the way for Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf to emerge. And then Chris Jackson, of yeah, course. Yes. Much like Luau Cinder becoming Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Didn't have quite the same career. But... And Cassius Clay not, yeah, yeah, not, well, yeah. not legally changing his name to Muhammad Ali, as it turned out. another in. example. Or yeah. Cassius Clay, as it was on his mm. first certificate. Mm. Anyway, the, the Nuggets picked up Matombo in that same draft and grabbed Lafonso Ellis the next season. So they did all right out of it. <laughs> Adams held the triple-double record until 2014 when Isaiah Thomas had 24 points, 11 assists, and 10 rebounds in a 117-111 overtime win over Washington. For the record, the guys under six foot with a triple-double are Ty Lawson, Terrell Brandon, and Dana Barros at 5'11", Adams, JJ Barea, and Damon Stoudemire at 5'10", and Thomas at 5'9". Fun fact about Damon Stoudemire, his middle name is Lehman. Damon Lehman. Oh, dear. Mm. Also January 31st, 2015, the Atlanta Hawks set a new monthly win record in January as they moved to 17-0 with a 91-85 win over the Philadelphia 76ers. Interesting reference, the 2013 Miami Heat also won 17 games. It happened to be in March, but they did lose a game to Chicago along the way, so we're 17-1. 11 teams have managed 16 wins in a month, with six of them going a perfect 16-0 for the month. Most recently, the Phoenix Suns accomplished the feat in November of 2021. And an honourable mention also to, of course, the 1971 Los Angeles Lakers. No surprises that it was a part of their record 33-game winning streak. For the record, the Hawks would lose their very next game to the New Orleans Pelicans, who got 29-13 and 13 from AD. February 4th, 1987, the Sacramento Kings score only four points in the first quarter against the Los Angeles Lakers, the fewest in a quarter since the introduction of the 24-second shot clock in 1954. The Lakers were fresh off the heartbreak of that famous Ralph Sampson series winner. Seriously, if you haven't seen it, yes. just type in Ralph Sampson game winner to YouTube. It is nuts. Just type in Ralph Sampson on YouTube. It'll be one of the first. It's actually not <laughs> surprising. Not? No, oh, there you go. It's not even in like the first 10. Really? Yeah. It's oh, crazy. I apologize. They started the season on a tear, but had gone two and three in their last five games and were looking to bounce back. And Sacramento was a pretty decent team to do it against. They sucked as much as they do now. And the Lakers started this on a 29 to nothing run, broken only by a pair of free throws. A few minutes later, with Byron Scott already on 17 points, the Kings finished the quarter down 40 to 4, going 0 of 18 from the field with only free throws to show for the quarter. The Lakers would win the game 128 to 92, as a lot of the bench players racked up the extreme amounts of garbage time minutes, including former Geelong Supercat and Brisbane Bullet Adrian Branch, yeah. Mike Schmreck. Yeah. Wes Matthews, the father of current NBA player Wesley Matthews. Nice. And Frank Rakowski. Spare a thought for old Frank. He was traded to the San Antonio Spurs as part of a deal to get Michael Thompson, and the Lakers won a title that season. He, of course, on the wrong end of that 96 Bulls team as well. Yes. Playing for the Seattle Supersonics. February 5th, 1960, Boston Celtics legend Bill Russell became the first player in NBA history to grab 50 rebounds in a game, managing 51 in a... 124 to 100 win over the Syracuse Nationals. This really was such a different era in the NBA. The Celtics missed 82 shots in that game, going 50 of 132, while the Nationals missed 78, going 44 of 122, which of course means there were plenty of misses to corral, leading to the Celtics picking up 93 rebounds as a team. That season, the Celtics averaged 136 shots a game. To put things in perspective, this season, the San Antonio Spurs lead the league with just 93.6. And they shoot 46.4% compared to the Celtics, who shot 42%, so the double whammy of way more shots and a worse percentage. 
It's no surprise to know that 12 of the top 20 rebounding games by a team belong to the Celtics between 1956 and 1965. And of the other eight, seven of them belong to Wilt Chamberlain playing for the Philadelphia Warriors between the period of 1959 and 1961. Wilt Chamberlain, of course, broke the record November of that same year with 55 against Bill Russell and the Celtics. And funnily enough, following my theme all episode, I saw some really interesting stuff on Twitter today of former players talking about Wilt being the GOAT. So there is a school of thought, or at least a section thereof, where Wilt is the GOAT. Mm. I wish I could remember who it was. I want to say Nate Furman. I might have to research that for yeah, next well, week. I mean, Nate was about... A big right, guy that would have played against him. The so. right time, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And just a quick one to finish things off. February 5th, 1974, Mats Wormelin, playing in a regional boys tournament as a 13-year-old in Stockholm, Sweden, scores all 272 points in his side's 272 to nothing win. There is nothing on this one available anywhere that I can find in like box scores or reports or anything, but holy shit. In 40 minutes, I would struggle to score that on an empty court. That's, we're talking basketball here. Yeah. Uh, Wow. Yeah. This week in sport history. So, Stewie, I know we are both absolutely champing at the bit to talk about basketball this week. There's so much going on. Suspensions in the NBL, weird results in the NBL, weird all-star selections in the NBA thanks to K-pop influencers. And I've got some little bits and pieces and you've got some funnies. We got so some, we're going to have yeah. some fun with this one. We've got, we got some puns. Where do we start? Maybe should we just, oh, well, we've got we've got to talk about Matty Hodson, don't we? We do, we do. Just, I suppose, just a very, very quick overview of the NBL round before we get stuck into that. Yes, and good luck trying to find a form line. <laughs> it is all over the shop. Well, this is it. Before I sort of start rattling them off, that was the very thing that I had had sort of thought was that no team has really impressed me thus far as a standout. There are better teams than others, but every single team has problems. And some of them are very similar. Some of them are very different. So, And forget week by week. It's game by game. And sometimes teams are playing three games in a week. Yep. So it's just, you've got to take those wins and bank them. And these results that I'm about to rattle off will completely underline that. There's just, as you say, no form line. So there's nine games. Melbourne 84 defeat Brisbane 82. Perth 94 beats Illawarra 80. Tassie 76 knocks off Adelaide 71. Illawarra 94 beats Cairns 75. The Phoenix 88 beat Brisbane 73. Adelaide 88 beats Melbourne United 83. Sydney 96 beats Perth 81. Tassie 83 defeats New Zealand 59. And then the shocker tonight, New Zealand 90 defeats Illawarra 67. So that form line thing can't be more embodied. Or Illawarra did not have a good weekend, did they? No, they did not. Like As a Wildcats fan, I thought two out of three I'd be very happy with. I did not expect that only one loss to be Sydney. Well, no, and certainly not the way that it happened either. And indeed, that is the game we should have to talk about first because of the incident. Yeah, this is the big story of the week. I mean, there's been some great storylines, but unfortunately this one is a bit of a negative one of the biggest brain farts of all time, I oh, have to yeah, say. Yeah, not good at all. With Matty Hodgson. Seven minutes, seven left in the third quarter. We've still got no idea what caused this reaction, but Dayan Vasilievich has kind of nudged Matty Hodgson a couple of times and said something oh, to it's, him. It's got to be what, what was said. And it could have been it could have been death by a thousand cuts throughout the course of the match. Who knows? He might have they might have been sniping at one another all match long. Are you yeah. I haven't gone back and watched the footage, but it's definitely something that's been said. But you've also got to remember that Hodgson's not been able to come home to be with his partner. They've got a brand new kid. Yes. Well, so so funny. So I was watching this with my girlfriend and she's like, what kind of, what prompts that sort of reaction? And I said, whenever that sort of stuff happens in the footy, 
and to a lesser extent, other sports like basketball, I can almost guarantee someone has said your mum, your wife or something to do with your kid. Yeah. So pretty much Hodgson's walked up to him without changing the look on his face. His open face pushed slash slapped Vasilyevich in the face. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a slap. Hey, it was almost like a... The second one was a bit of a slap. The yeah, first, okay, the yeah, first yeah. One was the a first push, one, yeah. yeah, it was almost like a, I don't know. I'm trying. There must be some video game character that does the. Dorgan. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't. Yeah. Kind of yeah. one of those. <laughs> right, you. And so it kind of looks like Vasilyevich has sort of egged him on to do it again. And sure enough, Hodgson's gone the full slap. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. I think he just stood up for himself. He's gone, uh, mate. I'm not backing down. You just smacked me in the face. I've seen some stuff online where people have said that he had said, do it again. Yeah, okay. And, and so the Sydney players have obviously come in from all directions. It nearly spilt into the crowd. They were. See, that's interesting. To, to take that bait is really bad. It is. If that is what he said. Yeah, wow. Okay. So, yeah, the fact that it has pretty much gone into the crowd, though, that's what a lot of people are saying. Oh, you know, that's the bad part, just as much as the slaps. Is yeah, taken. was there any real danger of the crowd getting involved, though? Well, also, whose fault was it that it went into the crowd? It's the Sydney players. Yeah, well, the that's why a lot of the Sydney players were cited. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So the obvious question, and we're all speculating at this stage, it has gone directly to the tribunal. We know the results of four out of the five. The big one is Matt Hodson, which we'll come to in a second. Xavier Cook's got a $1,000 fine early play down to seven fifty, dollars And Jarrell Martin, Wani Swakala Bullock, Jalen Adams, all got 500 down to three seventy-five. with I assume it's the early play that is the reason. Early guilty play, yeah. So Matt Hodson's released a statement. The Wildcats have released a statement. It's all your usual kind of shouldn't have done it, doesn't set a good precedent, isn't a good look. I was interested that he didn't mention the young fans, actually, because it's always we worry about when somebody think about the children. That's <laughs> <laughs> the Simpsons quoted. But the question is, what's the right number? Because he's definitely going to go away for one at least. Well, there's three precedents that I could think of. And look, the one that seems to be doing the rounds everywhere is the Josh Childress elbow to the face on Jesse Wagstaff. Yep. Yep. So this goes back to 2014, I believe it was. And Wagstaff sets his back screen on him. I don't think Childress kind of realised that it was actually a pretty decent legal screen. It just unfortunately hit him high. Oh, it was such a cheap shot from Childress. And Childress has taken three steps and launched off the ground, elbowed him in the, the throat region whilst Wagstaff is shooting a floater while he's in the air as well. Oh, it's huge. And gets knocked to the ground. He received two weeks down to one. Yep. You also had in 2015, the Brian Conklin and Damian Martin incident. So Martin's trying to come around a screen. Conklin's turned in and dropped an elbow. In the last minute of a game, by the way. Yeah. A game which the was... Townsville was winning by 10 Over, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. And Conklin got nothing for that. And then the other one from this... I'll, I'll, on that one, sorry. I'm not... It's, it was a very bang-bang play. I think it was one of those ones that looked worse in replay than than it was, maybe. That's because you could see what Conklin's intent was, which was to well, turn him with the... I, yeah. I, I do not believe that there was anything... Yeah, other than and unfortunately that ruined Martin's season and, geez, the Wildcats might have had a really good shot at winning the championship if it weren't for that, but yeah. If, if only we'd won a championship yeah, between no, then and now. After, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then you've also got the one from earlier this season. So you've got the Mason Peatling push on Mitch Creekle. Push, shoulder charge, whatever you want to call it, where... He's dunked all over. Hip and shoulder. Yeah. It's, a bit, it's a bit of a footy move, really. Yeah. yeah. So Creek's dunked all over Matthew Dallavadova, sort of got in his face and yelled at him a bit. And then Peatling's just come in and, yeah, knocked him to the ground. Yep. So that was one match as well. And that's the key one, I think. How do you compare the two incidents? 
I mean, you can't. There just there isn't enough. The, the thing that I think will go against Hodgson is the second one. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's probably the reason he'll get two games. Yeah. I think it could be three down to two with an early plea. I think any more than three... I, I think it should be two, actually. Anything more than two, I think, is outrageous. And okay, the 2014, 2015, that's a good seven, eight years ago now. Mm. So, yes, there are precedents, but the league could argue times have changed. We're more worried about violence, this, that, and the other. So how much they can rely on those precedents, I don't know. I mean, you look at the two side by side. Childress's is world's worse. worse. Way, way worse. It's not even close. Hmm. And he should have got a month probably for that minimum. Yeah. It's actually amazing he only got one game for that. Well, exactly. And, and go and check it on YouTube if you haven't seen it because it's pretty bad. And and this is where I think that precedent sort of almost looks better for Hodgson is that, okay, yeah, it was eight years ago, but that was 10 times worse. I think they'll distinguish based on time past though. Hmm. I think they will. And how much... Three games is more than 10% of the season. Yeah. Do two kind of face pushes really deserve more than 10% of the season? Well, that's it. Vasiljevic played on. In fact, he barely looked like he got hit at all. He just had that look of like, really? Like, did you just do that? Like, that Oh, was- yeah. Well, he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't injured. He, he just enjoyed antagonizing and he yeah. knew he could take it further. Yeah. Yeah. We like to reflect rather than speculate, but the punishment is going to come down in the next day or so probably before we release this episode. So we'll reflect on it again, but we had to talk about it. So we were either right or incredibly wrong. Yes, indeed, yes. Now, looking at this game as a whole, it kind of outlines a number of problems for Perth. And I sort of said at the top that this whole round just showed me how many teams have various different problems. Yet another poor start highlighted by the two most glaring issues with this team right now, rebounding and transition defense. Yep, no power forward, no traditional power forward. Yep. 47 to 31 rebound advantage for Sydney, which, yeah, Sydney's a decent rebounding team, but they're certainly not the sort of team that should be, you know, nearly 50%. Well, both Martin and Cooks got in foul trouble. So two of their biggest guys, by the way, again, no Jordan Hunter. So they're missing height. Yep. Yeah. Oh, they smashed, smashed on the boards. Yeah. And this is the thing. All the turnovers, they all led to a lot of really easy transition baskets early. The transition defense, as I said, was woeful early. So once again, the Cats playing catch up. I think it's the fourth or fifth straight game with a double-digit deficit in the first quarter. Okay, they made a comeback late, got within four early in the fourth quarter, and it kind of looked like the Violet Crumbles were rearing their ugly heads yet again. And funnily enough, the Hodgson incident did kind of inspire the Wildcats to wake up a little bit, didn't it? Majuk Majuk took and hit his first three-pointer of his career. Yeah, that was huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Career was it? Well, yeah, yeah, career. So, you know, but this is the thing, like relying on those comebacks every single game, it's it's dangerous. Well, especially when you're playing all your games on the road. Yeah. You're going to run out of steam. Now, one of the other things I'm sort of noticing is that a lot of Perth's losses and the the teams that are running Perth close are teams that have defensively aggressive guards. So Wani Swakula Bullock, he won't get a heap of praise. But, man, he made Bryce Cotton work so hard. Oh, he will from me. I was devastated when the Wildcats lost him. Yeah. Very handy backup point guard. Very like, handy. Like, if you look at the box score, okay, Cotton scored 20. Took him 17 shots to do so. In this theme of what you miss, we missed mentioning his 150th game, by the way. Ah, true. And what a start to a career <laughs> it has been. Not but, bad. yeah, not a spectacular game, this one. No. 
And then looking at the other losses this season, we had a loss to Brisbane, loss to Adelaide, Nathan Sobey and Sunday Detch, yep. two of the better perimeter defensive players out there, guys who go and get it. So this is kind of a thing that we're seeing is that a lot of teams are throwing these really aggressive guards at Bryce Cotton and it kind of throws him out. You could say ditto the likes of Xavier Cooks with the work that he did on Vic Law, 16 shots for 20 points. The stat line won't show it, but I think he actually probably played Law to pretty close to a tie. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I I thought he did some good things. The foul trouble is what what hurt him. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously Jalen Adams was spectacular. Oh, he, I mean, geez, he... He's a very strong MVP candidate. Yeah, the trajectory up has been oh, yeah. massive. He's had a great couple of weeks. And I think the thing that impressed me the most, okay, yeah, the 30 points is really impressive, but I think it was the nine assists. Because let's be honest, he takes a lot of shots. That's just the way it is. But he's getting teammates involved. Vasilievich made some shots. Sean Bruce made some shots. Yes, yeah. Shout out to Sean Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Joseph. And put simply though, this is what pisses me off about the Sydney Kings. This version of the Sydney Kings can contend for a championship. They don't even need another import. But then you look at it and you say they're equal money to lose to Tasmania this Friday. Well, Tassie, yeah. Winning games. How good was Scott Roth and the crowd? Well, yeah, we will talk about Tassie. so good. We will talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Sydney need this effort week in, week out, no matter who they're playing. We've already seen that, you know, Tassie will out-effort teams as well. Oh, of course. Well, that's one of the things that they have to rely on. Hmm. Yeah. So if they go into that game half ass, it could be on. Mm. could be on. Oh, of course. A couple of other issues for Perth as well. I mean, going back to the rebounding, it's going to be even harder without Hodgson for a couple of games. Okay, Hodgie hasn't had a great season so far, but... Well, he's also handy to get some inside points. It's good when they... Like, he has some post moves. It's good when they establish him early. Like, he had a couple of really nice hook shots fairly early in that Sydney game. I think it's it's a really good way of opening up Cotton too. Is by so yeah, it's another inside presence on both ends of the court. It's huge, yeah. it's huge. So yeah, I think this is where the time comes to really look at trying to get a four in there. We've thrown his name out there that many times. Friend of the show, Cody Ellis. <laughs> he can play some four. He can get <laughs> some boards. Congrats to him on getting the Hoops Heaven basketball podcast yep. gig as well. Yep, looking yeah. forward to hearing that. Absolutely, should be, should be great. So check it out if you haven't already. Now the other big issue is Michael Fraser. Yep. We've defended him as much as we can. You mean more so than you, I think? Yeah, I think so. And look, Frazier is a decent rebounder, but... Well, on my grounds, it's his defence is partly why I've defended him because I think he does do a lot of things that the box score doesn't show. I think he's a bit of an eye test guy on the defensive end. But he's also not a great transition defender. Well, I think you've said the whole team has had problems with the transition. Yeah, but this is one of those things. He's, you know, I'm not even sure if he missed the Sydney game because his ankles were still broken from freaking Antonius (laughs) Cleveland the other day. (laughs) But this third spot from the imports or even for an Australian, it needs to be someone similar to Nick Kay or John Mooney, someone who can rebound. Someone who can stretch the floor and shoot well. I mean, Frazier's not really done much and he's missed quite a lot of games. I hate to say it, Brandon Ashley would have been a perfect pickup for the Wildcats, like when the Phoenix got him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, shooting 24% from three, he's leading the team in turnovers. He's missed nearly half the game. So I, I, I just can't take it anymore. But the problem is no one's available because... COVID. You know, COVID. Yeah. Yeah, well, this Hodgson stretch, whatever it is, be it one game, be it four, however many it will be, is going to really test that. And it's going to stretch the Wildcats almost to breaking point. So at risk of this being the Perth show, we know the 40th anniversary team is coming up soon for the Wildcats. We are fans. We are from Perth. We'll cover that next time. There's plenty of other interesting things going on. Also, Luke Travers put the three-pointer away. One of 17 from the season. Yeah. Put it away. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about Adelaide. 
Indeed. Very intriguing weekend for them. They got outworked, outplayed massively by Tassie, and then they knock off the ladder leaders. It, it makes no sense. Well, and not only that, they knock off the ladder leaders with Dusty Hannah's kind of being buried on the bench, and then he came back to save them in regulation and overtime. It was incredible. It was a great effort. He was just hitting shots left, right, and centre. And and let's, I mean, let's also keep in mind as well this Melbourne United game. They got nine points combined from Matthew Delvadova and Chris Golding. That's, yeah, one of twenty-four shooting between the I two. I know, yeah, and Golding not good. Yeah, and it. And it still took that crazy sideways fading three from Dusty Hannes to send it to overtime. After they led by 10 at three-quarter time, they were up six points with five and a half minutes to go and let United go on this 10-1 run before that three. They led by eight points with under two minutes left in overtime, and it took a free-throw line jumper from Kay Soto to ice it. Of all people, yeah. And that's also not taking into account that Caleb Agata had eight points on two of seven, so three of 31 from, I know. Their, from their big three. And yet still nearly one. Still nearly one. So, yeah, we we haven't given them enough credit, and even when they lose, they they nearly win. This, this, <laughs> this is it. This is it. So I guess, you know, the, the questions for Adelaide, look, there's a lot of questions. I mean, obviously we know Isaac Humphreys is injured. That's a massive, massive loss. Oh, massive. Absolutely it is. But I think for me... The, and Bairstow's played very well in his place. Well, he's had to. Yeah, yeah, he's, he has he's, had, he's to. had to. because yeah. they've got nothing from Todd it's Withers. It's still astonishing he was not signed by... Like, why didn't, why didn't the Wildcats get him needing a big? Why didn't the Jack Jumpers try and get him? I mean, maybe they did. I don't know, but... Yeah, yeah, that's that was a that's just about signing of the year. <laughs> it, well, it's certainly looking that underrated way. Underrated signing. The, of the, the year. way that he's gobbling up rebounds. It's and it's so funny because he's on the same team as Mitch McCarron, who I think everyone had as the signing of the yes, offseason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's yeah. been not scoring enough. Eh. But again, he's very much an eye test guy. He's very much a, like Damian Martin. These players that if you look at the box score, you might go, eh, but if you watch the game, you're like, eh, he had a pretty good impact. So for me, look, the, the issue is obviously still with the imports. Todd Withers, he looked good against United, 17 points before he fouled out. He's not terrible. He's just streaky. That's the problem. But he had three points and four rebounds against Tasmania yeah. the game before. Six of their 10 games so far, he's failed to reach double figures. Hasn't had more than five rebounds in a game since the second game of the season. Well, he, he embodies the whole league in a sense. Consistently inconsistent. Mm. There's no form line. Crappy teams are beating good teams. Good teams are like... Struggling to score 60 points in a game, it just it defies belief. It is, it is weird. And then you look at Dusty Hanna. I mean, shit. I, I don't. Do you know what to make of this guy? Uh, he. Do you know what? It's he just just enough to keep to hold on. That's that's kind of how I've been feeling about it. Is yeah. that you'll have a couple of yeah, games from him, and you'll think, oh, maybe they should get rid of Hannah's. And then it'll be like, oh wow, he had 22 points and well, money in the bank. He just beat Melbourne. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so that's just bought him another month. Probably. probably has. So he's probably here for the season, I suspect. But the fact that he's coming off the bench, and I mentioned this last week, like, is he, I mean, obviously hypothetical, but is he having issues with CJ Bruton? Is he one of these guys where they just legitimately think that he should be playing with the second unit? Yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of starting isn't everything. Mm. And it's just as much about how you finish as it is about how you start. Mm. So you can still get good minutes off the bench. So I don't think that's necessarily... I mean, that that is maybe a good coaching strategy to try and get him going, to get him being that number one guy with the second unit. So I don't I don't have a major problem with that. Yeah. But one thing I will note about that Melbourne United game, everyone's sort of told, oh, he had such a great game, you know, send it over time, it was brilliant. He had a great 
quarter in overtime. Exactly. Or he had a great not, like not, seven not, minutes. Not even. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He had eleven points in yeah. over, in overtime and last possession of yeah. regulation. Yep. If he gives us that overtime dusty or the NBL blitz dusty, that's a borderline all NBL guy. They need that every game from him. They do. Or certainly more than one out of every three. So yeah, again, I mean Adelaide I don't see as a team that's going to be threatening for the top four, but God, if they can just get consistency out of him, it's a tough place to play. I think with Perth not really being an issue and New Zealand not being an issue in terms of games being played, Adelaide's probably almost the biggest trip for, well, certainly for the Queensland. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So. And, and look, given some of those issues, teams like Adelaide and Brisbane, teams on the bubble, will be saying, hey, it's now or never. These are great opportunities to make the playoffs. And once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. So when, when some of the better teams are on their back foot like Perth, you've got, you've got to take the bull by the horns. Yep. So on the flip side, Melbourne United, they're probably still the benchmark. Well, given that huge streak and a loss that felt like a win, yes, absolutely they are. Mm. Yep. So they beat Brisbane, as I mentioned. They were actually up for the game this week, Brisbane. So that was uh, that was kind of good to see. Really good game to start the round. Then, obviously, we mentioned they lost to Adelaide. But we saw that they can actually still be competitive even without their big players. Yeah, and that's fine. huge, huge. Now, we've heard the Jack White-Andrew Vlahov comparisons. I quite like that. But at 14 and 6 against Brisbane, 18 and 11 versus Adelaide. He looks like he's going to be a stud. JLA was big, 23 and 12 against the 36ers. Mason Peatling giving him good minutes off the bench. They're as elite a squad as I think we've seen in this league in a long, long time. But I'll, I'll be honest, I underestimated Melbourne's depth. Obviously, no guys like Shaili, but Huck Porty has been excellent. And I did like him in the Blitz, but I didn't know if that would translate to the regular season. He's still an unknown. Even David Oquera was really good at the start of the season when they had some injuries as well. So they're super deep, Melbourne. But, so no, they are the benchmark, yeah. definitely. Now, I just want to talk about a couple of things quickly that kind of caught my attention from the Brisbane game. Melbourne United had Matthew Delavadova guarding Lamar Patterson in the first quarter. If I'm Patterson, I'm offended by that. Like, deeply offended by that. Well, forget the offence. Take him down low. You've got to punish him. Well, and this is the thing. Like, Delhi's okay, he's deceptively tall. He's a metre 90. I didn't actually realise he's only a couple of inches shorter than Patterson. But Patterson's got him by 10 kilos. Oh, huge. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been surprised if you'd said 15. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm him, I'm getting into the post and clearing out a side and saying, I don't think you're ready for this jelly. Oh, yeah. I'm backing you down. And and if they double, I'm kicking out to Kadee, Sobe, Franks, these guys. I'm feeling pretty confident. Although these defensive guards, Mitch Norton did some good things against Duop Reith when he was found himself on him in those Illawarra games. Well, Duop Reith, to be fair, is in a pretty poor... Well, yeah, <laughs> he's, poor a, he's a bit underdone. He's yeah. in a slump, He's yeah. injured, yeah. But do you honestly think if he, they tried that shit on Vic Law, Vic would take it? Hell no. He'd be, oh, Vic's, he'd, he's, he's in the post every single play. Absolutely. His hand would be up straight away. Yeah. Yep. Now, the second one, the unsportsmanlike foul. Yeah, well, I said three or four weeks ago that they're too trigger happy on this. And uh, So Matthew Delavadova, coming back after, I think it was a defensive stop, he's given a tiny little shove to Lamar Patterson coming back on defense. And Jackie Dover, I believe it was, has called an unsportsmanlike foul. On replay, I think the crew downgraded it to a common foul out of just pure embarrassment. Well, they had to, yeah. This is something you would never call in a million years. And like, it's just another one of these examples of the league going over the top with these bullshit calls. Well, this stuff hurts the league. This stuff makes people switch off. Yeah. So they got to be really careful. Yep. Ironically, the, the Hodgson stuff probably makes people switch on. Yes. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but we yeah. don't condone it, though. No, no, of course not. No, 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 no. 
And just quickly, did you see the two shots that Brisbane took to try and tie this game? Playing horse, Joey. Well, they basically were. They, these are two of the worst shots you could possibly come up with to tie a game. Like a wild up and under reverse that missed the ring by about three feet from Sobey. And then a rebound from Drimmick, who has Chris Goulding on his back. Instead of going up strong, he just throws it over his shoulder. It's terrible. Panicking. Yeah. It's terrible. Yep. So, yeah, and I, look, I didn't see much of the, the Brisbane-Southeast Melbourne game, but from what I saw, Brisbane looked hideous defensively, turned the ball over far too many times and gave up too many points off turnovers. Well, and after we've seen Franks' praises, he's had a couple of rough games. But, you know, again, he's entitled to a, a rough one every now and then. Yeah, but at home. Yeah, to, yeah. To worry when I mean, yeah, you, you look, you rely on your imports to, to do the omens work, and when they don't, chances say you'll lose. Mm, he's doing the no-mans work. Hey, I see what yeah. you did there. Now, Illawarra, got to talk about them. Quick follow-up to last week. The exact same questions are lingering for me. The thing that amazes me, Stewie, is that, okay, the Wildcats, so there was two games against the Wildcats within a couple of nights. Mm-hmm. The Wildcats went in and won the first one. Great job. The fact that Illawarra didn't bounce back for that is disappointing and concerning. Really disappointing and concerning. There were almost there were some similarities did they not learn from that first loss? No, clearly not. Uh, oh, it's, yeah, I'd be a little bit worried. Well, it's funny you say that because I've kind of got a couple of comparisons to make between the two games. So Tyler Harvey shot terribly again. Justinian Jessup shot pretty average again. Antonius Cleveland was a beast and didn't get enough of the ball. And if you also look at the numbers, Duop Reith was pretty average as well. So I would like to see them use Cleveland more too. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'll, I can kind of back that up with the numbers. So Duop Reith, one of eight in the first game, two of 11 in the second game. So horrendous. You, yeah. You wonder if that injury is knocking him about from last week. But, but they, they can't leave him out because they got no players on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> I've been saying this for weeks. Well, if, yeah. Well, AJ Ogilvie can get some minutes, but AJ Ogilvie played like three minutes at the end of tonight's game against New Zealand when the game was already over. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed he hasn't got a little bit more. And Isaac White, I think, played three minutes in the second quarter. Right. So well, it might have been the first, but it was early in the game. But again, Harvey, six of 18 from the field in the first game, five of 18 in the second game. If a guy is shooting that poorly, mix it up. Because if you look at the, the other game that they played against Cairns, and I will say this, the Cairns game means nothing to me. Nothing. Cairns had to give 30 minutes to Jared Kenny and Bull Kowal because they've got no one in their team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stephen Zimmerman is barely good enough to be a backup center in this league. Uh, like, I, I would honestly love to know how many shots he's missed from inside two feet with, <laughs> with no pressure. I would take Jack, I'd take Jack Salt over him. I would oh, take, yeah, yeah. I'd I would take too. Dane Pinner. I would take freaking Oliver Hayes oh, Pino's, Brown. Pino's decent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah, but, we might see more of Hayes Brown with thoughts and that's it. imminent but, odds. But none of these guys are starters in the league. Yeah. I would take them all over Zimmerman. So that game means nothing to me. Like, they, he should have been getting 15 points just off pick and roll dunks. So, yeah, anyway, I, I don't it, – it's frustrating. When they you, should be better. And and they they sometimes ruin really good defensive effort. Like, they're menaces in the passing lane, and they're so long and athletic. Yep. They just can't string it together for a full game. But I actually found the perfect sequence from that Cairns game of why Tyler Harvey frustrates me so much and why he should be dominating this league. So one possession, he breaks down a defender, scores really easily on a floater, 
And I've said before, his floater game is elite. Oh yeah, it's it's his go-to. It's it's interesting he's not using it as much this season, but he was dominating last season with it. And then the next time he touches the ball, he gets Keanu Pinder switched onto him and settles for one of his bullshit step-back fadeaway threes, and he gets blocked. And then to make matters worse, Pinder three seconds later gets a breakaway dunk because he doesn't get back on defense. Mm. So like that's the sort of thing where I look at and I think Illawarra should be dominating. Well, and Gorge wouldn't put up with that shit. Or shouldn't. Well, but he is though. Well, I mean, because he's yeah. not, because he said two games ago, oh, I'm gonna mix up. I'm gonna. Yeah, start, yeah, yeah. I mentioned it. Yeah, 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 yeah. They got fucking nine points off their bench today. Yeah. Xavier Rathan Mays was the only guy that scored. They got twelve minutes out of friggin' Tim Conrad and got no points, and then they got three minutes out of out of Isaac White and AJ Ogilvie. They really, really, really need to figure out what the fuck they want to be. Well, it's true. When the whole team only gets sixty-seven, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, but like, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, like if you're struggling, here's a thought: make some subs. Get some of those bench players in. Get some energy. Guys that want to prove that they belong on the court there. I just I don't understand it. And put it in Cleveland's hands more. Yes. And more often. Absolutely. Yep. All right, let's get to a positive. The Tassie yep. Jack Scott jumpers. Scott Roth. Woo! Oh, that, just that raw emotion. This is what I was saying at the start of the season where I said that he would be great for kind of the pumping up the brand. The culture. Yeah, yeah the culture. Getting getting the, the fans involved. Getting him in the media. Like, yeah, fantastic. They're a game and a half out of the playoffs at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. They've got a two-game winning streak, which is the first time they've done that since they've been back in the league. He's getting these guys believing they belong. He has them working. Like it's, This is one of these things, and we always said this, Tassie are not going to beat anyone on talent. Not a single team. Maybe Cairns. Yeah, well, at the moment, yes. It's good to see McVeigh getting a bit more of a go. He should have been getting more of a go from day one, in my opinion. He's just such an important microwave guy. The crowd would love him. He, he feeds off the crowd. So, yeah, good to see him playing more too. And I think it's maybe no coincidence with a couple of victories. Exactly. So if we look at the Adelaide game, they hassled the living shit out of the 36ers. They forced him into 24 turnovers for the match and three of 17 from three. 14 steals and they got 28 points off their turnovers. You're not going to lose too many games with numbers like that. No. Uh, like these are all guys, as I say, with chips on their shoulders. They're not big enough. They're not talented enough. Well, Magne still has more to give too. So, and he's actually started. Well, he's, yeah. Well, they need him to. And, yeah. and again, it's no coincidence because he's a big piece. But you're starting to see that chemistry. Josh Majet has actually started throwing lobs to him. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. He should be getting one a quarter. But Minimum. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, Majet had a good week. He, he did. Well, yeah. especially against New Zealand, he had seven threes, 22 yeah. points for the game. He's dropping dimes now as well. The decision-making just seems to be slowly starting to get better. Still one of the worst shooting actions I reckon I've ever seen. But <laughs> Well, you know. That was saying, ain't how. plenty of guys. Exactly. It's how many? Yeah. Delhi's not a great. <laughs> well, exactly. Right. As yeah. you mentioned the other week. Yeah. So, so yeah, look, this is, this is one of these, these games where you looked at the breakers and you thought, it's going to be a long season. They just, you know, you can handle a team losing, but when the effort isn't there, that's when it kind of destroys your confidence as a playing group and as a fan base. And you feel for them because things go south pretty quick when you've lost a couple and when you're not going to get a home game or home cooking or see your partner and your family and friends and whoever it might be that helps lift you up between games, you know. So, yeah. It's no surprise, but then they come out and beat Illawarra. So anything can happen. And, and this is it. I mean, you look at the Tassie game, there's, there's the same questions. Where's Finn Delaney? 
two points, three boards in 28 minutes. Where's Will McDowell-White? Okay, six rebounds and seven assists, but he had five shots for the game and made one three-pointer. And I feel like a broken record, but I've been saying this about Delaney nearly since round one. And you were starting to look at the backups as well. You know, Kyron Galloway, Rasmus Bark. They're showing glimpses and, and you're thinking, oh God, you know, they're both of them under two points a game for the entire season. And then, as you say, the form line flips on its head and they come out absolutely pummel Illawarra. Well, it just goes to show that no one is out of the race. Well, no, this is it. Even New Zealand, who, okay, yes, their margin for error is smaller than any other team. But you mentioned Tassie. Okay, I'm still, I don't, I no, still it's... don't think some of these teams, but who knows? Who knows? Keep getting those wins. Anything can happen. And, and it was such a simple formula for New Zealand. Pick and rolls with Yanni Wetzel. I've been calling for this. Oh, he's season. been a beast this season. Yeah. And what happens? They switch the smaller guards onto him and Tyler Harvey can't guard him inside. Oh, God, no. Simple lob inside and he's getting whatever he wants. Yeah. The pressure was up like a thousand percent. They were actually getting in the passing lanes. They were pressuring guys, bringing the ball up the court. They got countless turnovers and countless deflections. You had Galloway, three blocks in the first half. He was getting inside and getting dunks. It was just... I'm a big rap for him. Even Jang looked interested. He had a three early in, I think, the third quarter, pumped up to a 20-point game. Well, so, you know he's going to launch him. That's all he does. Yeah, and then Will McDowell-White showed up. So this is one of these things where, again, you just you say if this team in New Zealand can put in the same sort of effort that Tasmania does... They can make some noise. They just haven't seen it so far. The best thing about this game, though, was Hugo Besson's pants. Well, I, I, I say pants, his shorts. I didn't see it. He was wearing John, John Stockton shorts. Well, he's been in the news. It, well, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So we'll just say he was wearing Besson's then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were uh, They were short, man. They were really short. Illawarra, for all their love, are now only one game above 500. They could drop below this weekend, conceivably. I mean, all the love everyone's giving them. I'm, I've been the one putting my yeah, hand. Yeah, no, up no, no. Yeah, yeah, you have. Saying, I'm like, I'm legitimately worried about Illawarra. Yep. No, they, no, it's the proofs in the pudding. Like, Duop Reef has not been. I think he's had one good game in the last four. Yeah, I, I, again, I suspect he's, he's banged up. He's, yeah, he's yeah, injured. Yeah. But, but the thing is, take the time off. Well, but, they have the big stocks. Well, they got both Frolings and AJ Ogilvy. And, and this is it. Harry Froling played three minutes today. After going nuts the other week and hitting all those threats. Three minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's a bit weird. You can't have him sitting on the bench for 36 and a half minutes of a 40-minute game. It, it just, you can't. Like, as much love as Gorgian gets for, for being this amazing all-time GOAT coach. Well, the wins and losses and the championships help. I don't think he's been doing a very good job at all this season. The, the rotations, the lack of getting this bench involved. Well, I mean, there's very few rotations because the starters are playing. But this is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I think... That's a very interesting one to watch. I think this is a real problem for Illawarra. And if they don't do something about it soon, there's every possibility that Sydney or Brisbane or even Adelaide could potentially... Oh, Sydney, Sydney could jump them this weekend. Easily. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Illawarra, I worry. I say it every week, but I worry. Yeah, well... Justifiably. Now, speaking of worried, how worried are we, Nathan, about this rumor around the wildcard round? Uh, yes. So we forgot to talk about it last week. We did see it on overtime. Cam Luke is a big proponent of it. I think Homicide was into it too. We are on Liam Santa Maria's side. We value the regular season. We don't like the idea of everyone getting a trophy. Okay, yes, if you opened up a wild card, it would mean that half the league could potentially make the playoffs. It's not as bad as a 
the NBA where it's 20 out of 30 teams. But, but, but they won't because the wild card person that loses doesn't make the playoffs. Well, I, I don't know. It, it's kind of a play-in. It's playoff. It's like a purgatory playoff yeah. kind of. Yeah. I, I mean, I know that the NBA doesn't see it as a playoff game, but... So will the NBL. Well, uh, but just don't... Do we need to play it? The NBL, like, any team can have a bad game on a bad night. We have seen seasons where the team in fourth place is below 500. Do we really want two teams below 500 having a shot? And again, it punishes the team in first seed because they're the last team to find out their opponent. You're meant to get the benefit of being number one seed. Can you imagine conceivably the Wildcats never play another home game, finish top, and then have to, well, it's not going to happen this season, I guess. I don't like it. I don't like it. We have series. Okay, yes, the first round is three games and the second round is five games. But for a very long time in the NBL, the playoffs have been series. I like the regular season counting for something. Mm. I like four out of 10 teams making the playoffs. It's a good thing. There's also an issue around fairness, though. So let's use Perth as the example because they're playing all of their games away. Let's say Perth finishes fourth and then has to play Sydney in Sydney for the right to make the playoffs that they've already technically qualified for. Yeah, in any other season, yeah. Because they can't fly back to Perth to play it. And yes, I'll put up my hand and I'll acknowledge that the Wildcats streak did have the benefit of this. Did It happened one season when Rick Burton was the commissioner in the early 2000s. Well, they, or maybe it was yeah, mid. They, they expanded but that. Yeah, year. yeah. So, yes, it's happened before, but they put the kibosh on it pretty quick. It only lasted one season. Because it was shit. Yeah, I don't like it. I so, like yeah. It. I, I mean, okay, yes. A one-off game between Sydney or Brisbane and Illawarra and Perth would be kind of fun, but, yeah, I just... Well, we have the season. That's it. They're the one-off they're, games. They're cheapening the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. I don't like cheapening the playoffs and potentially even the champion. So, we like to have a bridge between NBL and NBA, should we? Yeah, well, we've actually got a couple this week. We do, we do. So we've got little bridges parallel to each other across the same Well, and WNBL and WNBA for that matter too, actually. So the first one which has been doing the rounds is this whole Aaron Baines story. And uh, I know I've learned a lot more about this whole situation. Yeah, it's really sad, isn't it? It, it All because a bloke needs to go to the dunk. Yeah. It goes back to the Olympics and this moment that kind of changed everything for Baines. So we all kind of knew that he'd had this accident. But I don't think a lot of us really understood the the real details and, and the extremity of it. How bad it was, yeah. So he's rushed off to the bathroom before the fourth quarter of the game between the Boomers and Italy. Which was a close one. Which was a very close one. In fact, one. the Boomers might have even been down at three-quarter time in that one. Well, it was, but, it was close. Yeah. And, he, and he'd run off because he didn't want to miss much of it. I mean, he was a really important player in that game. And the team. But he never emerged. Yep. And the doctors went and checked on him and found that he'd collapsed in the locker room with a wound in his upper arm. But the strangest thing about it all was that he he basically had said, look, I, I blacked out. I haven't actually gone to the toilet yet. I need to go. And he tried to stand up and couldn't walk. Oh, it's terrifying. Terrifying. And, and look, Baines's uncle is actually a quadriplegic. Yeah. So yeah. he knows about this thing firsthand. Yep. And... Uh, like I didn't know about this until I read this really great article by Brian Windhorse on ESPN. Baines had actually lost his grip on the ring warming up against Nigeria earlier in the, the series and landed on his head and his neck. So there's no real, like we don't know whether that played a part in what happened. If you like, whether it's a maybe cumulative, a, yeah, yeah, like yeah. a delayed reaction potentially. Well, hey, if he blacked out, he, he might have had a concussion. Mm. But what he actually ended up with was internal bleeding that put pressure on his spinal cord. This is really serious. He dealt with nerve pain. He couldn't stand up. 
after the boomers won bronze, the doctors would only actually allow a team doctor and an athletic trainer to see him. So oh, this is where it gets real good. So Matthew Delavadova and Nathan Sobey pretended to be those two people yeah, just yep. so they could visit him and bring his medal. But That's a nice touch. Like it took him until his 11th day before he was back on his feet. He was finally then able to take a flight back to Brisbane, albeit lying down and anesthetized the whole way. Yeah. He had to quarantine for two weeks, so he still could, oh. couldn't even see his family. Oh. And it's taken nearly six months to get him back to some semblance of normalcy. Yep. He's just turned 35, which I did not realize. The NBA dream is still there, but I tell you what, the door it's, is shutting. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's touch and go. It, it is. And I would encourage anyone to take the time to go, oh, on, great article. go and read that article by Brian yep. Windhorse. It is really, really interesting the depth that it goes into and, and a lot of the details that, as I said, hadn't really been brought to light until now. And you know, great to see Bainsey out at NBL games over the weekend. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Very, very good. And Brian Windhorst, it's crazy to think he's now an NBA and I guess international basketball veteran. He is a veteran, yeah. So he came in with LeBron, basically. So he followed LeBron around in high school and kind of opened the door for him for ESPN. 20-odd years. I mean, we know how long LeBron's been around now. Like, crikey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, good Good to hear Windy. Uh, interesting and unfortunate nickname, but it's definitely yeah. worth reading that article. I believe it's pronounced Windy. <laughs> now, uh, the, the other bridge is really, really cool. Lauren Jackson. Well, I've got one too. Do you? I do. All right, well, you go then. Well, it's in my theme of what you miss. Kiefer Sykes had some really good games for Indiana, former NBL player. So good to see him going well. Yep. We've mentioned a lot of other blokes. I don't know if we mentioned him. Unfortunately. We've talked about Cam Oliver. Yeah, and Jay Sean Tate, those sorts of guys. Yeah, yeah. What's happened to Didi Lazard? I think he must be Well, trapped, I was always a bit... I wasn't in the G League. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, this other really cool story that's come out today, Lauren Jackson coming out of retirement to play for the Albury-Wodonga Bandits in the NBL One East. Now, if anyone is wondering, Jackson is actually from Albury, so it makes perfect sense that she would be playing there. Apparently, she's dropped 17 kilos to get into proper game shape. God, I wish I could do that. <laughs> There's also talk of a possible return to the Ovals team. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, look, I don't think age matters. I think if she's good enough to play, just like this is how I feel about Paddy Mills. If he's still good enough to play at the next Olympics, if he's good enough to play at the following Olympics, I don't really mind. Like, if she's good enough, and obviously we may never see Liz Cambage again in an Opals jersey. So, yeah, if she's good, great. I love it for Opals basketball. I mean, she's a national treasure. She ran the American, well, I say she, the, the Opals ran the Americans close in a couple of Olympics led by her. Liz Cambage, she's done with the Opals. There's no way she's it's coming back. It's very hard to see her coming back from here, yeah. So for me, I, I love not just the fact that she's a great addition as a player, but also an amazing mentor for Ezzy Magbagor. Yep, absolutely. She continues to develop into a superstar. Lauren can teach her post moves, you know, help her refine her jump shot. The professionalism stuff, yep. Yeah, and just yep. continue to dominate defensively. So I, I hope she plays till she's 50. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. If she's still, I mean, it's a brave new world. Tom Brady only just retired in his, well, nearly is late. It, is it confirmed? Well, yes, it is. No, I, I know yeah. it is. I'm just taking the piss. So let's get into some NBA, Nath. The All-Star starters have been announced. Yep, as I mentioned at the top there, a J-pop sensation has helped get one of them in, in well, controversial. Yeah. Do you, want to, do you want to go through, I guess, the, the obvious ones first? Yeah. So the Eastern Conference, really straightforward. Front court guys, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kevin Durant, and then Trey Young and DeMar DeRozan in the backcourt. I would fight anyone who challenges that five. Yeah, and obviously Durant's unfortunately injured, but of course, I mean... Open and shut case. Yeah. 
like you could make the smallest of small cases for Jason Tatum, but who are you going to draw? No. Yeah. No one. No. So, yeah, I, I think that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, okay. I know their record isn't spectacular, but there's a big bunch of teams in the East. Not much separates pretty high from pretty low. Mm. I, I wonder if some of that Tatum-Brown stuff is a bit overblown. But, yeah, no, you can't argue with those three no. at all. No way. Not even close. In the West, so the backcourt, pretty straightforward. Ja Morant and Steph Curry. I think that makes sense. Two guys that oh, of course. probably yeah, the yeah. top 10 in the MVP. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the front court, Nikola Jokic, LeBron James, and Andrew Wiggins. And here's where J-pop comes in. Yeah, this was really weird. So K-pop star Bam Bam. Oh, sorry. I've been saying J-pop. J-pop, K-pop. I listen to metal. I don't know what the fuck this is. Korea, not Japan. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't I didn't, that will come off as racist. It's not racist. It's just because I don't give a shit about that music. It was a typo. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, the K and the J are right next to okay, each other. Okay, but I'm not reading off notes, but yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so there's this K-pop star, Bam Bam. He's tweeted his support for Wiggins and received 68,000 likes while being retweeted 40,000 times. Yeah. The power of the K-pop community is apparently just insane. Oh, and he's done his job. So I don't have a problem with him because he's been brought on board to be a team ambassador. So that's fine. The problem isn't with him. The problem is with the system because it's really interesting. So I don't know if you heard, but I was listening to The Low Post and he was talking to, I want to say Kevin Pelton. And they were kind of talking about fringe all-star guys. And Pelton mentioned Wiggins and like Low shot him down like in his tracks. He's like, no, no, don't even, don't even go there. He absolutely does not deserve to be in the team, let alone the starting five. And he actually favoured DeJounte Murray. But yeah, so that, that's what makes it even more interesting. Like forget starting five. A lot of the experts are saying he shouldn't even be in the team. And he's had a good season. Yes. He's not a terrible player, but is he an all-star? But this is the thing. If you look at his numbers, I mean, he's averaging, I think it's 18 points, maybe four rebounds and a couple of assists. DeJounte Murray's at 19, 8 and 8 at the moment, I yep. think it is. Yep, so, getting steals and blocks too and shooting at a decent clip. Yep. Yeah, and, and look, Wiggins has been a lockdown defender this season. He's been really, really good as a, as a He's two-way improved, player. yeah, yeah. But, but Murray's a better defender too. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> but it's the maybe it's the record, but yeah. But it's, it's not even Murray that comes into the equation as far as the starting gig. No, yes, this, that's this a different thing. Yeah, yeah. For me, there's only one option. It's Carl Anthony Towns. 24 points a game, nine rebounds, three assists, a steal and a block, 50, 40, 80 clip he's shooting as well. Far superior numbers in all of those counting stats to what Wiggins has. The only thing that Wiggins leads is three-point shooting, and he's only just got him there. Like Towns is a seven-footer, and he's shooting 40.5% from three. And we've talked about it before, what he's gone through with multiple family members dying of COVID. He's had a really impressive season. He has. Yeah, yeah. And I hate that the fans get to vote because so many of them are just these fucking idiots that vote for whatever bandwagon team. Oh, of course. Like a prime example, going back to 1994, BJ Armstrong voted in as the starting guard. He was the leading vote getter in the Eastern Conference for guards. Yeah. Ahead of Mark Price, ahead of Isaiah Thomas. Oh, there's a myriad of guys. Yeah. And this is the thing. Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumas didn't even make the East squad while fucking BJ Armstrong starting because everyone hated the bad boys. I think this is yet another example of why they need to drop the percentage that the fan vote counts for. Okay, it's fun. Yeah. But, I mean, look what happens. You've got a guy, in, and, and don't get me wrong. Even some of the player votes were fucked up, to be honest. Like, guys that have been on 10-day contracts have got a yep. vote. Yep. So, I don't know, maybe it should all be coaches and media. Look, do you know the one positive I will say for Wiggins? The All-Star game is a perfect kind of game for him. 
He's dunks, a, yeah, he's a guy yeah, who yeah. dunks really well. Yeah, he shoots, he's and he shoots the three really well. Yeah. So he's going to have a blast. And he's, oh yeah, yeah. He's going to. He'll make the most of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, the system. But the thing is, like, if they were happy to push Zaza Pachulia out when he was involved in that crazy, remember when everyone in Georgia and all the Warriors fans were voting for him? It was like 2015 or something, or 2016. Yeah. It's it's a worry. And look, I, I really hope that somebody really worthy, like a Dejounte Murray, or potentially a Shea Gilgis Alexander, or in the East, a guy like Demar Rosen. Great to see him in the team in the starters. Yep, fantastic. Yeah, it, it, yeah. You just hope that guys that are legitimately all stars this season don't miss out. And if there are some big snubs, like as I well, said, well, it's always snubs. This is the thing. But, but if if you so, if you someone, put in a guy who doesn't deserve to be there, there's got to be multiple snubs. That's what I'm saying. If some, yeah. if somebody like a Murray or a Gilgis Alexander or a Zach Levine or one of those guys misses out somehow, yep. And Wiggins is in. That's when it's going yeah, to yeah. really cause an uproar. But yeah, congratulations to him anyway. Like, well played. I do wish we had a little bit more time to talk about this one, Nate. But geez, we've got to very quickly mention the one of the craziest games, certainly of this season, but certain certainly also of probably the last decade. And the, the cardiac kids, because they've done it multiple times this season. So the LA Clippers, without Paul George, without Kawhi Leonard, without Marcus Morris. And basically, without Serge Barker, trailed Washington sixty-six to thirty-one in Washington, and won the game. It's nuts! It's nuts! <laughs> it, it, it doesn't make any sense. This is after Washington was on the wrong end of that coach touch yeah, controversy true. with Brooklyn, Brooklyn too. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. And what makes this even crazier is that they were still down by seven points with twenty seconds left, and they somehow managed to yeah, I saw it on Sports Center. Just yeah. make this comeback in the last twenty seconds. And a four-point play to Luke Kennard, I, I don't understand how he even got the shot up. I mean, they were trying to foul him like crazy before oh. he went up. They didn't call it. And stupidly, they kept fouling him. Yeah. And eventually, they called the one On while, a shot. while he's going up. Yep. Four-point play. Yep. So according to ESPN Stats and Info, entering this game over the past 20 seasons, teams trailing by seven or more points with less than 20 seconds remaining in regulation were 1 and 16,239. I liked that tweet uh, at Sport Blokes. Check it out. Yes, that's, I mean, wow. The, the only team to win was the Cavs against Orlando in 2014, and they needed overtime. Yeah, it's the Cardiac Kids, the yep. Cardiac Clippers. The only bigger comeback in NBA history, Utah against Denver in 1996, when they trailed by 36. This just sums up Washington perfectly this year. Show a ton of promise, and then show us who they really are. Trash. I'm so glad you brought up 1996, Chewie, because... That is the basis for some of my stuff this week. Let's do it then. You want to do it now? Yeah, fuck yeah. Let's do it. So following on from that vein of the what did you miss, this isn't something we missed per se. I mean, we couldn't go into too much detail. But when we talked about 1996 in This Week in Sport, I think it was last week, I was talking about how it was a crazy off-season. And I was like, oh, that's the, that's the off-season that Shaq went to LA. I was thinking about this during the weekend. So I did my research, man. I've gone through. Okay. So first of all, there's some fairly innocuous transactions as there is every season. Charlotte released Michael Adams. Philly released Trevor Ruffin. Um, Charlotte released Robert Parrish at an old age. Minnesota released Spud Webb. I forgot he played for them. Yeah, he did. Yeah. That's the same Michael Adams we talked about in this week. I know. Exactly. There's so many connections, man. Like so many across the board, right? So Boston released Todd Munt. Todd Munt, okay, yeah. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of NBL names that pop up here too, which makes it even more fascinating. But even the innocuous ones. So the Spurs released Del Demps. Well, he's now an assistant coach. 
So that's that's interesting too. But okay, get this. So I've kind of condensed it. There were a lot of moves made, and this does include the season as well as the off season. Did Alonso Morning go across that season? No, it's one of the few that didn't, right? I thought, I thought that might have been the year he went to Miami. Anyway. But speaking of the Charlotte Hornets, so they traded Kobe Bryant to LA for Vladdy Divac. Larry Johnson went to New York for Brad Lowhouse and Anthony Mason. Brad Lowhouse, wow. Speaking of New York, they signed Alan Houston. That was a ridiculous contract. It, well, he, it, the injury hurt. He, he was good, but he was not that good. Yeah, the, it, it was it was when Max went a bit funny. And, yeah, it was yeah. like 100 million over it was, six years. It, yeah, it was an interesting time. Portland traded Harvey Grant and Rod Strickland for Rashid Wallace and Michael Butler. To Washington, yeah. Yep. Atlanta signed to Kemi Matumbo, as I mentioned last week, or whenever it was. I think it was last week. Last week, week yeah. Miami signed PJ Brown. LA signed Shaq again, as I mentioned. Now, then there's some middling ones, but they're still important. Portland signed Kenny Anderson. Houston traded Chucky Brown, Mark Bryant, Sam Cassell, and Robert Ori to Phoenix for Charles Barkley yep. and a 1999 second rounder that became Tyrone Washington. Yeah, okay. Houston signed Kevin Willis, okay, at the back end of his career, but he was still an important piece. He helped the Spurs win a championship five-plus years later. Miami signed Dan Marley. Speaking of the Spurs, as a Spurs fan, they got both Vernon Maxwell and Dominic Dominic, yeah, I remember that. Nick. Two of my favourite players on opposite, opposite teams. To, see, to get both those guys in the same offseason, I was stoked. So to put it in perspective, we were in grade eight in 1996. Mm. So this is like the peak of our kind of fandom in some ways because we had all that disposable time. Now, here's where the NBL connections are really interesting. Minnesota signed Shane Hill. Golden State signed Ray O's. Ray O's. Geelong, Geelong Supercats, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. New York signed Chris Gents. Yeah, I remember North that. Melbourne Giants was... went to the NBA, NBL finals with that yep. team. That was after his time with Houston before, yes, before yep. coming out for North Melbourne. Yep. yep, and before he punched Vlahov in the knee while Vlahov was defending him on the perimeter in game two at the glass house. Barely even noticed it. Philly signed Doug Overton, Adelaide 36ers. Yeah, he also played with Washington. Toronto signed Donald Whiteside. Tasmania, Hobart, back in the league. Hobart, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say ACL. No, he wasn't on the list, but yeah, he played for Sydney back in the day. Philly signed Mark Bradkey. Yep. Dallas traded Jamal Mashburn. They also traded Tony Dumas, Jason Kidd, and Lauren Meyer to Phoenix for Sam Cassell, Michael Finley, and AC Green. So, so Cassell changed hands a few times that season. He did. LA traded Sabalos again, another person we've mentioned recently, and Romeo Robertson to Phoenix for Horry and Joe Klein. Romeo Robinson, eh? Yeah. From that Michigan team. He, he, he might have had an NBA 40 or 52, didn't he? Mm, not a 50. Might, might have had he a, had a decent career yeah. in hey, pros. He was in that Michigan team, though, that beat Seton Hall. So, Horry went to Phoenix. Speaking of Phoenix, there's something I rub from my memory because I love Robert Ory and I, we've talked about the Hall of Fame. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. He threw a towel at Danny Ainge. Now, I don't know if it was that season. I think it probably was. Danny Ainge became coach that season because Cotton Fitzsimmons got sacked. Bob Hill got sacked by the Spurs that season. Greg Popovich took the seat. He's now approximately 10 wins away from being the all-time winningest NBA head coach. And all of those wins are with one team. And he nearly lost his job in the first season. Yes, exactly. That famous story with Avery Johnson. Yeah. Against against Houston. They basically had to dominate Houston to keep his job. Yep. Portland sacked PJ Carlissimo. They hired Mike Dunleavy. Crazily enough, PJ was then hired as a head coach at Golden State the same season. (laughs) Indiana also hired Larry Bird as their head coach that season. He then went on to take him to the NBA Finals. He did all right. So in the same season and off-season, Shaq, Barkley, Kobe, okay, albeit a rookie at the time, Mark Jackson, 
ended up leading the league in assists with Indiana. He was traded to them that season. Jamal Mashburn, Michael Finley, Dikembe Mutombo all changed teams. And even the transactions like PJ Brown, Chris Gatling, I mean, he was an all-star. He was an all-star. He was yeah. traded to Dallas. Yep. So what a crazy season and off-season that was as far as player movement was concerned. And again, all those connections between what we've been talking about and all those NBL connections too, not just import players, Bradkey and Hill, crazy. Gonna makes this season's trade deadline look like a piece of shit so far. Well, often, often the deadline is a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, and we'll talk about that when it happens very soon. Now, I assume this one caught your attention when you saw my response. Now, someone tweeted, I don't know if you took note, I, I didn't actually take note of, turn NBA player names into movie titles. So I wrote The God Sham Godfather. Yes, and that was in reply to his Honey, yeah, that's right. Honey I Shrunk the Jason Kid. Yes, which is great. Yeah. And, and I assume that's maybe what how you saw this? It is. Yeah. Now, the, the cool thing about God Sham Godfather, that can also be the God Sham Godfather Part 2 because there's a God Sham God Junior. Ah. who's now playing in college. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Yep. But anyway, so we've come up with just for a bit of fun and we encourage people to think about this. Tweet us at sportblokes. Send us an email, sportblokes at gmail.com. Join in the fun. We, we said five. I've got 24. <laughs> <laughs> it just, I was just sitting there last night just scrolling through websites. I was like, oh, that, that's kind of good. Screenshot yep. that one. And look, there are some obvious ones. The musical Hamilton was turned into a, into a movie. Richard Hamilton. The Joker. Yep. So there are some obvious ones. I don't know. Do you want to maybe we'll take turns initially and then you can finish off because you've got more than me. I, I will mention I've got two types. So there's ones that didn't flow as well. So the pun kind of interrupts the flow of the movie title and others that flowed really well, which yes, where yep. the pun didn't interrupt. So I'll, I'll sort of start off doing some of the not so good ones and work my way up. So go nuts, Nate. You can start us off. Okay. Well, okay. I've got one that, it, so not a great pun. North by Mark West, rather than North by <laughs> North. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that. yeah. Harold Miner and Kumar go to Randy White. Go to Randy Whitecastle. <laughs> that's awesome. That is awesome. Lord of the Rings: Return of Bernard King. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, the Silence of the Jeremy Lambs. <laughs> Very good. Yep, yep. Leon Wood, the professional. So that's Leon, the professional. Leon Wood is actually a referee. He's a referee now as well. Yeah, yeah. so... Yeah, he played that. He's an active referee, 1,319 games experience, and he actually lists Australia as a place he'd most like to visit. So that's why I used him. I thought, I'll oh, chuck in a referee. He played as well. Oh, he probably he might have. Yeah, I yeah but I, I just chucked him in because he was a ref. I didn't actually look that far to see. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. there you go. Uh, Terminator 2, Judgment Todd Day. <laughs> now, I know we both had this one. This is an obvious one. Brian Shawshank Redemption. Brian Shawshank Redemption, definitely. Yep. yep. Uh, the Lion, Stacey King. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. Yep. Now, I've got four here. I don't know if you have these two. And I've I've intentionally picked the player name to go with the back end of the title. Eddie Jones and the Temple of Doom. No, no. I see. I didn't have anything to do with. Ah, okay, I, okay. I wanted to, but I thought, oh, there's, oh, there's, there's so many different Joneses. Yeah. Well, Sam Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. KC Jones and the Last Crusade. The reason I say that is because KC won 10 championships, so that 10th can be the Last Crusade. And I wonder if you'll you'll know why I chose this one. Popeye Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Because he's got a ridiculous skull. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I don't like to body shame because, you know, his, I'm no oil work. I mean, but, uh, yeah. yeah. He, he could have been the guy in Goonies. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Sorry, Popeye. Ooh. Once scored off a jump ball. He did? Yeah. He did with about a tenth of a second left. Yeah, yep. Uh, Brave Josh Hart. 
Oh, yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. I've only got one more. That's all right. Then I'll just go nuts. Dr. Kevin Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying About the Buyout. <laughs> so rather than the bomb, I said buyout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he would have been worrying about a buyout, but now Cleveland are good and now he's playing well. It's actually funny that you mentioned Kevin Love. I was spitballing some ideas with my wife last night who, who was, you know, getting involved with this. And she actually came up with Kevin Love, actually. Ah, yes, very good, very I'm, good. We well, never would have thought of those. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's I think great. I like that more than most of mine, to be honest. Right, well, I've, I've still got a few of the crap ones to go. So Fire away. Goodwill Bynum hunting. Yes. Yeah. I, I thought about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Lawrence Funderburk of Arabia. <laughs> That's not a crap one. <laughs> Lawrence Funderburk of Sacramento. Of Sacramento. Yeah. 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 Jurassic Cherokee Parks. <laughs> oh, uh, Coach Anthony Carter. Coach Anthony Carter. Yeah. We'll move yep. on from that one because I admitted the other week that I still haven't seen it. Blue Edwards Chips. <laughs> I had that on my shortlist and I forgot to write it down. Sounds like a tasty little morsel, that one. It does a bit, yeah. Uh, Monty Williams and the Holy Grail. Oh, nice. Yeah, Python. yeah, yeah. Very good, very good. And then the ones that kind of flow a little bit better for me. Uh, Saving Private Ryan Anderson. Nice. Jihadi White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Chris Ford versus Ferrari. Ah, very nice. The Joe Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Joe Wolf. He actually appeared in my 1996 transaction list. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was cool. moved a few times that season. Probably like Orlando at that stage. He was a few times. Cool hand Luke Longley. Ah, nice. Get the Aussie in. Very good. Life of Brian Scalabrini. Nice. Yep. Yep. John Wally. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a robot that sits on the bench paid to do nothing? Yes. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Uh, the AC Green Mile. Ah, very good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And as an Iron Man of games played. Kill Bill Lambier. <laughs> Many people Many would have been. People. Yeah, that's that's good because of the player. That one. was why I chose Yeah, that that's one. excellent. That's excellent. Uh, million Dollar Baby Davis. Nice, nice. Yep. Uh, he would have Million Dollar Exception Baby Davis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, look, the two that I like the most, and I, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I, I quite like these two. American History X, Xavier McDaniel. Ah, nice. He also appeared on my 1996 transaction list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the bridge over the river, Kawhi Leonard. Nice. Very good. Very good. Oh, I love it. Tell you what, you give me an inch with puns and I'll take Oh, it. yeah, we know. Fucking we love wild. puns. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you have any, like I say, send them through. Please do. Please um, do. In fact, you know what? They don't even have to be NBA. Sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We might make this a bit of a running yeah. gag. I also like the idea of coming up with a fake synopsis to kind of suit the title, like, like, like what I did with Kevin Love and the buyout. So oh, we yeah. might have to think about those yeah, a bit. Yeah, so, nice. yeah. yeah. Good times. A couple cool. of things just quickly to finish off the NBA. The other day, the 76ers were playing the Lakers and Philly decided to honour Julius Irving with a tribute on the big screen. They spelt Irving wrong. Yeah, they only need to look at his jersey hanging in the fucking rafters mm. for the E-R-V-I-N-G. I did see a really, really good uh, follow-up tweet from at In All Airness. It may be doctored. Hey, lovely. <laughs> Very good. Very good. And we did mention uh, John Wally a second ago. Mm. Crazy, crazy stat, courtesy of one of our high school mates. In the past five seasons, Dirk Nowitzki has played more games than John Wall. Wow. 128 to 113. Wow. Well, that was like that crazy stat where for a long period, it may still be true, I'm not sure, where the Seattle Supersonics had played more playoff games than the New York Knicks in like the last 20 years or something. Yeah, it was well, something crazy. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that's still true, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Wow. John Wall. Yeah. So sad, isn't it? It is. It is. He was great to watch. I mean, not 
the perfect player, but geez, he was a max guy. He was a pretty important player. Free John Wall and free him of that contract. Indeed, yeah. All right, Stewie, our third marathon in a row is over. What are you out for? Oh, mate, definitely the Pro Bowl. <laughs> no, <laughs> nah, look. You can tell me what happens. It's got to be the game we just spoke about. Australia and India in the under-19s World Cup, which should be uh, a pretty close one by the time we're done, I dare say. Massive occasion for the boys. Can they construct a similar score and bowl beautifully like they did against Pakistan? Fingers crossed. How about yourself? Yes, indeed. Well, for me, I'll be watching a lot more basketball this week. I haven't watched as much with a lot of other sport going on, but I'm ready to well and truly sink my teeth into the NBL and NBA. Until next week, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex.